Hi, I'm Fox Antonio's Jessica Headley. And I'm Ryan Wolf. Our, our greatest, greatest responsibility, responsibility is, is to, to serve, serve our, our Treasure Valley communities. The El Paso Las Cruces communities. Eastern Iowa communities. Mid-Michigan communities. We are extremely proud of the quality, balanced journalism that CBS4 News produces. But we are concerned about trouble and trying to be responsible. One-sided news stories plaguing our country. Plaguing our country. The sharing of biased and false news has become all too common on social media. More alarming, some media outlets publish these same fake stories without checking facts first. The sharing of biased and false, false news has, has become, become all too common, common on, on social, social media. media. More alarming, some media this is extremely dangerous to our democracy. 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 This is extremely Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Today, May 27th, 2023, thank you for joining me today. Very important show today. A very important speech that was recently given that, of course, is, is kind of mixed reviews from people that have a lot of different opinions and a lot of people have come to their conclusions already. What I want to go through is the information being presented and, and what it, how it applies to the bigger conversation of COVID-19 and, you know, really why this is so important, whether even despite, regardless of whether or not you disagree with some of the core points of what is going over. And this is in regard to a recent speech by David Martin in, at the, in front of the European parliament. Of course, it's talking about bioweapons and, and the engineering and, you know, the patents and so on, but you know what I've been talking about. Now, we've been discussing the Lieber-Langer research and, and the, the nanotechnology side of this. So I'm, 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 it's interesting to see this conversation and how this plays in, possibly, to the bigger picture of what's happening today. And ask ourselves whether or not this has been experimentation that came to fruition when they were able to create virusized transistors, let's say. And that's when we saw this begin. Maybe something else was happening before this, just theorizing. It's a very interesting, it's an interesting discussion to get into about what the current level of this research is. What we're going to go over is really, really powerful speech and, and the different points within that. As well as that, we're going to go over some new important information, some things that I've discovered in regard to uh, overlap with – well, it's not necessarily something that's not publicly accessible, but something that overlaps with Robert Langer. And the company that's currently suing via, due to, uh, in regard to the patents around lipid nanoparticles and the entire injections. And what they're all saying about each other becomes very relevant today. 
and then we're also going to talk about some some very important developments uh, regarding um, which one was this the oh the uh, another important study in regard to the excess mortality showing you and in in general as always just the the dangers that are here in regard to these injections but the excess mortality study that's a new study that's showing interestingly timed a rise that is not in regard to COVID-19 of excess mortality that's perfectly timed with the increase of injections. Now you may say, well, we all know that, don't we? Well, you'd be surprised how few people don't know that it's not COVID-19 causing excess mortality and that it perfectly correlates with the injection. But that's just the surface level point. What they get into is the actual scientific research around why it's obvious what we're looking at and why it correlates with all of the negative things and just becomes impossible not to see what we're talking about. Now, an ending with a nanotechnology part on this that I think is important to see where it goes forward, but I really want people to be objective about this conversation, about what he's saying, and don't inherently dismiss this or rather immediately dismiss this without standing back and thinking about the meat of what's being discussed. And even for, from, from a person's perspective that may be thinking that we're not that we're wrong by talking about viruses in general, ask yourself whether or not maybe he's wrong and just framing it that way which I don't necessarily agree with, but think about the concept of that, that his framing, there's still data points, facts, evidence, patents, information all around what he's saying that's easily verifiable. So it's interesting for someone to just dismiss the whole conversation because of what, you know, just being objective may be his misinterpretation of what he's looking at. Just the point being is that we should not allow our own preconceived conclusions to stop us from entertaining what other people are talking about, what other people are investigating, and the way that they see it through their lens. I really can't stop seeing how a lot of this going on today is very almost designed to stop further investigation, even if it's correct what they're looking at. It's very interesting, very concerning. And I think there's a reason that the reason is that there's a lot of moving parts to where this is going. As I've become very aware of, it seems that this as as we've always been talking about, like eugenics, the technocracy direction, these things have been building for a long time. But the idea of what this research was before COVID what it got turned into during whatever this is and now and how it's continuing beyond that which shows us that it wasn't really about how it was applied and as i've continually been discovering and and saying and, and realizing as we go further this is just one big experiment now what that really amounts to is up for you to decide but i don't think we can debate this anymore we're still being experimented on and that's what everyone's beginning from their different angles of research to kind of realize we're just the guinea pigs of whatever it is that's going on. So let's get into this with that overlay, that lens to the whole conversation. Now, I want to start actually with a couple of interesting points around Twitter, not to that it necessarily connects with the bigger picture, other than the fact that I'm seeing a rapid increase, not just Twitter, but everywhere in regard to not just censorship. I'd even say not not censorship, but more so suppression, obfuscation on a massive high level scale. And I'm seeing it everywhere. I'm seeing a lot of new people point this stuff out and saying, wait, what's what's going on here in ways that don't even like if you look up our account, let's say on the, the classic ways, which we should know by now, they're very quick to circumvent these things. You look, oh, well, it doesn't seem that there's any banning or suppressing, at least the, that app shows me no shadow banning and so on. But then you can prove, which I will in a moment, that there's actions still be taking still being taken now what does that mean these are my opinions but i think we've all seen these kind of it's not really ebb and flow but these kind of moments where they the, there's a surge let's say of censorship 
you know, adpocalypse or whatever these terms are we've used in the past. And so the, we're, I think we're seeing one of those again. I think it's beginning to happen right now. And it's not just, you know, Yaccarino and Twitter. It's like the, I think there's much more going on here. And I think that usually happens before some kind of a big push. So I want to get into those points in that regard, but also just because it's important to see that this is still happening. Now, first of all, I saw, uh, I want, I was going to just make a point about the deep fake conversation, <laughs> which is just, it's, it's, I keep talking about this, that it's very clear that this is suddenly becoming a focal point, even though this technology has been very right. Not, not just there, but accessible by average people for years now. And, and now suddenly it just, it's everywhere we point at and people are making these things pop up. And I think there's a reason for that. So I wanted to point this out first. As I said, so it looks like the deep fake agenda is indeed about to kick off for real. You saw this. It was March 11th. What I found weird, first of all, was that isn't interesting. This tweet, this link just doesn't pop up. Now, usually that in the past, that's only happened when there is a, 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 twi- a, a tweet that's been deleted or something like that. Right. It's just not there anymore. But you'll quickly find that it very clearly is still here. This is the link we're looking at. It's weird that that's how it pops up, right? That's strange. In any case, this is the tweet. Now, this one, you can see very clearly the lips are, are, are manipulated. That's Tucker Carlson in his deep fake talking about Pokemon. Obviously, this is a deep fake. The point was just to show you how easy this is. Now, obviously, this one's very easy to tell. This got me thinking. The reason I went back to this is because of something I saw today. But that just, I was going to use that to make the point. But then I realized that it just wasn't showing up no matter what I did. Now, that's just small. I mean, who knows? It could be a glitch. It always just could be a glitch. And anybody who wants to see it that way is going to say it say it that way. And, you know, rightly so, since we can't prove that that's some kind of an action. But this led me to the next part of it. Where I went, I, I, I've been in, oh, that, that was the other thing too. Uh, hold on. What was it? Um, oh, right here. This is my side of it. So first of all, I'm just trying to show you that people are, you know, this account has been manipulated even since uh, East Palestine, which is when they first put out a video that kind of got them a lot of attention. But here you can see that I quoted this tweet, right? It's clearly there. What's happened? What happens when we click on quote tweets? Oh, look, there's nothing there. <laughs> How does that make sense? Now, this clearly shows me that this tweet, for whatever reason, is being suppressed. Why? Why wouldn't it show those? Why wouldn't it pop up over here? Why is it gone? I don't know. I don't have all the answers to this, but are we anybody confused about how that is obviously being suppressed? Unless it's all just a kind of a simultaneous glitch around this one tweet, but I'll show you another one next. It's very strange, but everyone's seeing this right now. There's all sorts of people that are showing this and going, that doesn't make sense. Why is that happening? So it's happening. Very strange. Now, here's another one. I was, this is what got me looking at this one. I said, oh, I, I just, you probably have seen this deep fake, which is actually really well done, circulating. And this, one's, this one is about Ron DeSantis. As I said, I've been saying, as I've been saying, the age of deep fakes is upon us, or more accurately, has finally been released upon us. Referencing this tweet that I was going to tag, and I did, which shows up like this, but it shows you this one, which is just, I'll show you a quick point of it. It's, it's funny. It's really well done, but it's scary. So this is taking a clip from The Office. And making it DeSantis's face and his voice about him dressing in women's clothes. What? Are you wearing lady clothes? Those look like lady pants. No. This is a power suit. That is a woman's suit. I do not <laughs> buy women's clothes. Do not make that mistake again. I'm going to call Roy, man. Okay. This is going to make me right. feel better. <laughs> this 
You know what? <laughs> Ma'am, could you please tell Daryl that this is not a woman's suit? Oh my God, that's a woman's suit. You're wearing a woman's suit? No, I do. I even I wear men's suits. Now, right there, okay. right there was just about the only moment where you really did see it. Kind of now, obviously, you could tell this is the office, right? But you could the little glitch right there. But other than that, I mean, this is really good. This is this is just an, a person making this, right? So my point was just one, just to show you that wow, like this is very seriously becoming something that's going to be affecting. My point is that's being presented to us right before the election where I have a sneaking suspicion it's going to be the election of deepfakes where we're going to have two things happening. One, where people are going to be having to deny deepfakes that are deepfakes going, that's not me. They made it up. It's not really me. Then you're going to have people that deny real things as if they're deepfakes. And then we're going to be challenged to prove one way or the other. And everything's going to be just like, just like everything now. Everything's fake or it's not, or it's cheated or it's not, or it's stolen or it's not. None of it based on the facts, just based on the narrative and what you wanted, right? Did you want this to happen? Well, it didn't happen. Therefore, he got cheated. Well, in most cases, I do agree that happens all the time. But the point is the facts matter, and they don't seem to matter to a lot of people involved in the partisan game right now. Now, the other part was, I think it was one more on this one, too. No, I think it was just that one. But in case there was one other point I was going to make, I'm just, I can't remember off the top of my head. I was throwing this in there in the beginning, but I find that very strange. Don't you now overall, I say, do see this happening quite a lot. This kind of suppression with larger accounts doing important work right now. We're just kind of, and, and you'll know when this happens, it gets very, very, a lot less reach. Now here's an example. Dr. Anastasia Maria Lopez, who's been doing a lot of work on COVID, a lot of stuff around the trans conversation. And that's, I just recently showed you one of the tweets that she got censored by. Now, I'm not even talking about the one that was graphic of the, the, the phalloplasty, which is just really unnerving. It was, there's other tweets that she's been putting out about the trans conversation. And she's being like actively suppressed right now. And she's really unhappy about it because she's one of the people that's been supporting Elon Musk. Twitter has destroyed her account recently with almost half a million followers. It happened overnight. Her followers can't even change settings to view her posts. And now this? Look, this is what I'm showing you right now. Her, she, she's not even showing up. You try to tag me half the time. I've been getting told people, tag, you try to type out T-Lab. It just happened to me today. Not only does it not pop up, but finally when you put it all the way out, or it maybe does pop up, you actually hit post, and it shows up with not the account. It shows up as like T-L-E-V-A, and there's nothing there. Everyone's he's sending me this to me. I just can't prove that it's a, a glitch or some kind of manipulation. And I can't prove that it's just happening to me or maybe it's happening to everybody with those kind of names. I don't know. But I think we all kind of know, don't we? We all know that this is how it's always been going. And with the evidence we have before, this is just the same thing in a little bit of a different way. Maybe but a little bit of a pullback so we act like things are different. And it gets you know forward again. And all the people that think they're supporting Elon don't want to admit it now. You know That's how this works. But she says, see, all these people, you're not even answering her emails anymore. Elon Musk, all these people that were once engaging with her. Now they're not. Same thing's happening to me, by the way. Mine was just kind of arbitrary. I just wanted to reach out to them to ask them why, even though it says twi that Twitter, which by the way, now it went back, I guess, to now it, now it again says Twitter blue. No, now it says verified again. Man, they just can't make up their minds on this platform. It's kind of embarrassing. Let me see what mine says. Yeah, just says verified now. Well, anyway, the point is that I'm not able to somehow get these kind of things, monetization, subscriptions, check eligibility. Oh, look, weird. <laughs> Even though it says the opposite right on my, my thing. The point was I've never paid for that. I don't know why. 
I have it, though, so I should be getting this. And I've talked about that in the past, but I'm not. I don't really care about it, to be quite honest. I don't want to give Twitter anything else, but I, I like to see them play this game as a very, very clear standard, you know, where they're, 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 they have a double standard. So I want to expose that. So I reach out, and I try to get it, and they were engaging, and then just stopped. I'm falling back up. Hey, guys, you're still there? Like, nothing's been resolved. What's going on? So not that this matters all that much. The point is that these things, we, don't, we shouldn't be trusting these platforms, guys. They're not on your side. All the people that are still trying to pretend that Yakarino is somehow some insider, like it's just, like on our side, it's just embarrassing. Here's another example of how this censorship is taking place. This one, um, make sure I don't lose the tweet that I was sharing from her. There we go. This one is Matt Orflo. Did a great video. We just played this video. This has over. This has what? Like, was it two million? Two point uh, five million views. Good for him. Check out Milk Bar TV, by the way. I think he does excellent vid- clips that he just doesn't have the same connections as Matt. <laughs> so Matt Milk Bar TV makes amazing clips that just don't get as much reach. But it's a great video that talk that really shows you how how you know they were so, so full of vitriol and they wanted to they were mean to people based on their own perceived righteousness. Well, YouTube deleted that or you know censored it for the most part, which is just embarrassing. Which of course I said. You got to love when YouTube shows its cowardly hand by censoring a montage video consisting entirely of the words of those in power and the meek media talking heads who repeated it. That's literally what the video was. So they're censoring their own words as misinformation. Think about how crazy that is. An example of how the truth becomes misinformation when it's inconvenient to the narrative. Now, the reason this was also there is to show you that when I tried to, when you look at the uh, quote tweets, I think that's what it was. Which one was it? Oh, was it this? No. Anyway, I don't want to waste too much time on this. It's the same point I was making before. There was another example of it where you just try, you just look and it wasn't, wasn't this one. In any case, same, the point where these things just don't pop up, even though they're there. And I do, my personal opinion, there is a level of suppression keeping these things down across platforms too. In any case, censorship, manipulation, it's all there, has been. My, I do very much think this is going to get worse. Just mark my words. Now, let's start with this conversation. This is a clip that was put out by a few different people originally. Um, oh, it's weird. It's not showing it there now. God, this platform is just all over the map, man. There, there, there. Did you see disappear? <laughs> My God. Okay, so the person's name is right there. Watch. Right there. Boop, disappeared. What's going on with this place, man? Why are they trying to suppress and hide connections i don't even know man or it's all just glitching which is just i don't know anyway the person who posted this video it doesn't even matter the point is let's get into this video about a recent discussion at the european parliament and and what david martin who's somebody who i david martin is somebody that i was interested in interviewing a long time ago and have been ever since i'm just one of the people that i haven't connected with because he did a really great work on the patent side of this showing the patent he goes over most of that right in this clip so we're going to go through it now, I'm going to do my best not to stop it. I want you guys to hear what he says, but I'm going to p- point out a few things as we go through this and use this video as kind of a marker and go through some of it and come back to the video, just so you know. So it's not going to, we're not going to play it straight through. But it's important to hear what he's saying in the work and how it connects. Now, again, for those that are quick to dismiss any of this because you've made up, an, a, you've made up your mind about a certain point in this, which maybe you're right, it's very important that you still hear what he's talking about because whether or not you think a virus exists or whether or not you think this thing is there, the patents are real. That's undeniable. Their work on whatever this is, whether that's just a paperwork trail to make something look a certain way, that's still very relevant to the conversation, isn't it? 
So think about what you'd be dismissing if you just protect, you just tell yourself that this is not the case, right? And I, I think that's really important to think about. So let's get into this. This is a powerful speech. I agree. I do think this is really important. Oh, and one other thing, for some strange reason, I mean, let's just do it real quick so I can show you this. I, I, I use this downloader to download uh, Twitter, video, Twitter videos. But for some reason, no matter where, no matter where I find this video on Twitter, anywhere, I try to download it, and all it gives me is three seconds of the video. So let me upload this real quick, and I'll show you what this looks like. So this is the one that I just got from Twitter. Just downloaded this. Or is that the right one? Let me see. Make sure I didn't get the wrong one. Let me see. Sorry, I probably shouldn't have got into this last second, but the point was every time I try to download it, I get the, it's a three-second clip of the opening, and it just continues that way no matter where I grab it from. Now, I'm not going to suggest that that means that I know for sure that this is trying to be suppressed, but it's very strange. I got it from both Kim.com as well as the other person, and no matter what, it was only just the first opening clips. So unfortunately, I was forced to grab it from another location. Here we go. Okay, and 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 just wasn't able to get it exactly the way I wanted to. Now, I just, you know, I, I don't know what you guys think, but I, I see, you know, like, for instance, with Elon Musk, you can show on his account personally that you can go through these things and look and search for certain things that he's tweeted and proved. We've done it on the show live, and yet it won't show up, even though it is on his account. Is that glitch? Is it a glitch? Or is it, is it kind of him suppressing things that he's talking about? I really don't know, but I know this stuff is happening. I just think it's important to make that clear for people that think that one is like this one's the good platform. Those are the bad. I think all of them are are. There's another point that I'm not going to get into today, specifically about the what we've been talking about. Uh, my, my friend, my brother and I are talking about e- extremist seating, essentially trying to float in front of you concepts that they think they want you to be like you're looking at a video about some idea about COVID and they go, you know, they suggest a video about something they want you to dive down further that for most, if you're being objective, it's like, well, that's not what I'm talking about. That's ridiculous. But that's what they want people to see us as talking about. And they, they're, it's like, they're trying to create the very thing they say is happening. It's very interesting. All right, let's get into this. It is a it is a particularly interesting location for me to be sitting today, given that over a decade ago I sat in this very chair right here in the European Union Parliament. And at that time I warned the world of what was coming. Uh, during that conversation that was hosted at the time by the Green and EFA and a number of the other parties of the European Union's Uh, various representations, we were having a conversation on whether Europe should adopt the United States policy of allowing for the patents on biologically derived materials. And at the time, I urged this body and I urged people around the world that the weaponization of nature against humanity 
had dire consequences. Tragically, I sit here today um, with that unfortunate line that I don't like to say, which I told you so. But the fact of the matter is we're here not for a reprisal on past decisions. We're here to actually once again come to the face of the human condition and ask the question, who do we want to be? What do we want humanity to look like? And rather than seeing this as an exercise in futility, which is very easy from time to time when you're in the position I'm in, I actually see this not as an exercise in futility. I see this as one of the greatest opportunities that faces us because we now have a public conversation, which is now front and center in people's minds. When this was an esoteric conversation about biological patents, nobody cared. But when that conversation came home, then it became something people can care about. So I'm actually quite grateful for this opportunity. I thank the members of parliament for hosting this. I thank all of the translators who I apologize in advance. I will use terminology that is probably very difficult to translate. So my apologies. And I'd also like to acknowledge the fact that many of you are aware of my involvement with this in large part due to the amazing work of my wonderful wife, Kim Martin, who encouraged me at the very early days of this pandemic to get on front of the camera and talk about all the information that I had been sharing among very small groups around the world. And it was, in fact, her encouragement that put me in a place where many of you have heard what I have to say. Ironically, the world that I came from that used to be very popular, my CNBC and Bloomberg presentations, which were televised on mainstream media around the world, was an audience that I lost. I, I can confidently say COVID diminished my fame. But I can also confidently say that I'd rather stand among the people with whom I'm standing today than any of the folks that were part of that previous world. So this is a much better place to be. My role today is to set the stage for this conversation in a historical context, because this did not come in the last three years. This did not come in the last five or six years. This actually is an ongoing question that probably began here in Europe in the early stages of the mid-1900s, but certainly by 1913, 1914, this conversation started right here in Central Europe. The pandemic that we alleged to have happen in the last few years also did not happen overnight. In fact, the very specific pandemic using coronavirus began in a very different time. And we'll try to advance the slides here with one of these things. Oh, there we go. Most of you don't know that coronavirus as a model of a pathogen was isolated in 1965. Coronavirus was identified in 1965 as one of the first infectious replicatable viral models that could be used to modify a series of other experiences of the human condition. It was isolated once upon a time associated with the common cold. But what's particularly interesting about its isolation in 1965 was that it was immediately identified as a pathogen that could be used and modified for a whole host of reasons. 
Now, just for those already that would be thinking, well, okay, nothing's ever been isolated. It's not true. Cause, you know, and I'm only for those out there that get frustrated by my trying to kind of involve both sides of this conversation. I think it's very important. And may saying this does not mean, I, I, you know, my opinions have been clear and I'm not, I'm, I'm generally on the side that I don't think that this has even been fleshed out well enough on either side, which bothers both sides really, but that's my opinion. And I've said that many times and I've gotten very deep on this, but either way, the point is that for those that may be thinking, well, that's not ever happened. And I can prove that the point is think about it in the context of whether or not that could have been, you know, lied about, right. Is it not possible that that was simply the narrative being spun? And that was, you know, cause what he's pointing at is the paperwork trail and the information showing that that's what they've claimed they've done and so on. And now if you think that's a real thing, which there's a lot of evidence to suggest, then that would be something that you could draw a parallel through, or the, you know, a line from that right to what's happening today. Same way on the other side of this, though, if it's something that was meant to be an illusory threat, right? We want this or we're causing this, so we create something that makes it appear that way. And then they eventually reached a point in which they could literally create the thing they've been faking, or however you want to look at it, right? Only reason I'm saying this is to give people another, a way to look at this that doesn't mean that it could involve all of this at the same time, right? Because one side of this will hear this and be like, well, that's all must be fake because of what I have decided is the case. And the same thing happens from germ theory in reverse, right? We, I think it's dangerous for that to happen. It's important to hear all of this and see how this could picture, factor in. Because again, what he's talking about is not something that is debatable in the, the physical context. That these are patents that have been filed that they claim they have done that's led from one to the next to the next right up to what's happening now. That's that's fact, and I think that's really hard to dismiss. Now, what that means again is for up to it's for you to decide. And you heard me correctly. That was 1965. And by the way, these slides are public domain. You're welcome to look at every single reference. Every comment that I made is based on published material. So do make sure that you look at those references. Of course, which is the literal opposite of corporate media of government of all the you know truth tellers well he's the misinformation spreader that's completely sourced everything he said exactly sounds like somebody we know right but in 1966 the very first cov coronavirus model was used as a transatlantic biological experiment in human manipulation and you heard the date 1966 I hope you're getting the point of what I'm saying. This is not an overnight thing. This is actually something that's been long in the making. A year before I was born, we had the first transatlantic coronavirus data sharing experiment between the United States and the United Kingdom. And in 1967, the year I was born, we did the first human trials on inoculating people with modified coronavirus. Now, when he says we, he's just talking about the U.S. government for the most part, or really the West in many cases, but specifically. My point was not him. He's not talking about himself, obviously. Isn't that amazing? 56 years ago, the overnight success of a pathogen that's been 56 years in engineering. This is what they're talking about regarding the spike protein or even just the work on the injection. Like, this is not something they act like was a, like, for instance, like the thing I keep pointing at. The lipid nanoparticle was the, the miraculous success that allowed this to go forward. Well, as I've been showing you, that's not true. That's been around for a long time, even before Charles Lieber and the virus size transistor. And what we're getting into after this is how these two things, I think, very clearly connect. And I want that to chill with all of you. 
Where were we when we actually allowed, in violation of biological and chemical weapons treaties, where were we as a human civilization when we thought it was an acceptable thing to do to take a pathogen for the United States and infect the world with it? Where was that conversation? And what should have been that conversation in 1967? That conversation wasn't had. To what, to what KB's saying in the chat, right? What, it's not, that's exactly what I'm saying, where she says what her issue is is not whether it's isolated something, but what precisely was isolated. Well, that's the, that's what, that's the point, though, right? And so ultimately, it's, you have one side saying that that's never happened, and whether we're getting into the minutia of it about whether it was never even done or it was not properly isolated, it's still the same argument from one side for the most part, that it's never been done either not at all or properly because it's not possible. Right. So ultimately, it comes down to what is causing the illness, like you're saying. But my point is, it's possible that it could have been something that was manufactured. The, the illusion of that being an, an illness or rather a, the culprit being a virus in order to hide something they're causing. I'm not saying I think that I'm just saying that's obviously something you could argue would be possible, which would make more sense kind of altogether. Ironically, the common cold was turned into a chimera in the 1970s. Which and in 1975, 1976, cold. and 1977, we started figuring out how to modify coronavirus by putting it into different animals, pigs and dogs. And not surprisingly, by the time we got to 1990, we found out that coronavirus as an infectious agent was an industrial problem for two primary industries, the industries of dogs and pigs. Dog breeders and pigs found that coronavirus created gastrointestinal problems, and that became the basis for Pfizer's first spike protein vaccine patent filed. Are you ready for this? In 1990. 1990, the first spike protein patent. Despite all the narratives were spun about how this is a new, unique thing. Also, don't forget, as I'll show you in a minute, we have Ralph Barrick from North Carolina University, Chapel Hill, literally creating myocarditis inducing coronaviruses in, in, that they were infecting rabbits with in 98. Did you hear what I just said? 1990. Operation Warp Speed? I'm sorry. Where's the warp and the speed? Pfizer, 1990, the very first spike protein vaccine for coronavirus. Isn't that fascinating? Now, we're going to get into the lawsuit of the company suing both Pfizer and Moderna, and that's their connections to Robert Langer and, and his connections to Moderna and this weird kind of triumphant, triumvirate or whatever you want to call it, that, that where this is the happening. So you can clearly see that they have been working on different parts of this a long time ago. So what it begins to materialize for me, if I'm just trying to make a guess at it, is that there is clearly, as, and this connects with Sasha Lotopova's perspective, that this is a military operation, medical countermeasures. So if that's the case, then you're left with all these companies and the, you know, the illusion of the companies and the illusion of the regulatory agencies trying to kind of make this story. And so that's why they're all from their own different angles of it, kind of making their part, right? The spike protein work, the lipid nanoparticle work, the now, as well as where it's going to go, which we're going to get into as well, the RNA, RNA, I, and, and the, the genetic technology side of it. Like it's, Clearly, for me, it seems like, the, you know, I keep telling you that they seem to like walking this tightrope on whether the lipids are too high or whether the peg is too high or whether the and all the and, and every time they just keep guessing and going forward, they're doing the same thing with the new injections now. So the point is whether the, the lawsuits really to me seem like they're just vying over the profit of what happened. 
Isn't it fascinating that we were we were told that, well, the spike protein is a new thing. We just found out that that's the problem. No. As a matter of fact, we didn't just find out it was not just now now the problem. We found that out in 1990 and filed the first patents on vaccines in 1990 for the spike protein of coronavirus. Which explains why it's able to infect people by itself. We're looking at what would appear to be a bioweapon or some form of agent that was created. And who would have thought Pfizer? Clearly the innocent organization that does nothing but promote human health. Clearly Pfizer. The organization that has not bought the votes in this chamber and in every chamber of every government around the world. Not that Pfizer. Certainly they wouldn't have had anything to do with this. Right. And as the chat's saying, now they're, now they're moving on the next protein. Weaponized ferritin. Nanoparticle ferritin injections. We just talked about this. But oh yes, they did. And in 1990, they found out that there was a problem with vaccines. They didn't work. You know why they didn't work? It turns out that coronavirus is a very malleable model. It transforms and it changes and it mutates over time. As a matter of fact, every publication on vaccines for coronavirus from 1990 until 2018, every single publication concluded that coronavirus escapes the vaccine impulse because it modifies and mutates too quickly for vaccines to be effective. And since 1990 to 2018, that is the published science, ladies and gentlemen. That's following the science. And then we can pretend like they were so baffled when it literally continued to mutate, justifying more vaccines and more continued. Right? I mean, you could look. the, The point is the information will be in the show notes. His in the slides and all the science, you can look at it for yourself. So if they knew that long that this was the way this would go and there's in the, the vaccination part of it, like the point is, this is not unique. They know this is the way it was going to go at the very least based on their written down material. So even if you think it's all a big facade, you can still point and prove, well, they knew this would happen. And yet they're acting like today. This is unknown. There's lies inherently obvious in everything they're doing right now. Now, whether those lies are covering up some big illusion or deeper that they're hiding some kind of a weapon or any number of ways they're still lying that's what that's where i often point out you know operating from within their narrative you can still prove that they're lying even they're contradicting their own original narrative right now that can't be on purpose that's because i think people like you out there are holding them accountable making it obvious and sharing it with the people you know and it's growing and growing and growing and that's why this is happening right now Following the science is their own indictment of their own programs that said it doesn't work. And there are thousands of publications to that effect, not a few hundred, and not paid for by pharmaceutical companies. These are publications that are independent scientific research that shows unequivocally, including efforts of the chimera modifications made by Ralph Barrick in the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. All of them show vaccines do not work on coronavirus. That's the science. And that science has never been disputed. So here's a very simple way to put it. Like for those that may think that all these other conversations are too conspiratorial, let's take it down to the, the very core level here. Is it not possible that, as we're going to get into in a moment, about the universal flu vaccine? That's all. As I've been, how long have I been telling people that? Long before this. That's always been the goal. Possibly all this to justify that. Who knows? But ask yourself this: Is it not possible that they're just trying to achieve? 
the success for coronavirus vaccines. Maybe you can even pretend that it's because they think it's in your best interest, that they that they're willing to hurt everybody to save the species, you know, however they want to frame it. I don't believe any of that, but you can understand how that might make sense just on a basic level that they're willing, like they have before, to test on on Americans or anybody abroad. How about if they were using it to test abroad and that got out of control? Right. They were testing on people in China and suddenly that came back. And, you know, there's a lot of ways this could go. Either way, you can see that they're trying for the longest time to make this work. And we're going to really pretend that they simultaneously succeeded all at the same time. Not simultaneously. <laughs> Multiple companies all right when it needed to happen. Like, come on. There's just that's mathematically wildly uncertain, uh, unlikely. We must know that. And yet we're being sold that idea, even though you can prove with all this information and lots that we've already covered that that's all lies. Clearly, but they, they're selling it. People are buying it but less and less every day. But then we had an interesting development in 2002. And this date is most important. Because in 2002, the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, patented, and I quote, an infectious replication defective clone of coronavirus. Wow. Listen to those words, infectious replication defective. What does that phrase actually mean? For those of you not familiar with language... Let me unpack it for you. Infectious replication defective means a weapon. It means something meant to target an individual, but not have collateral damage to other individuals. That's what infectious replication defective means. That is so important. Because we've talked about this many times before all this. They were trying, if this is correct, they were trying to make a weapon that would affect only the people they wanted it to affect. Now, this is one of the reasons why you may, might argue this is something that literally got out of control. Like we saw the way this surged, if this is the reality, in Italy and Iran. And we did talk about how there was obviously a, a genetic connection there, despite how people that don't want to think that pushed back. It's, it's something you can easily look up. But it's interesting, right? That that and we've talked. We even talked about the interesting overlap of the Ashkenazi Jew discussion in this, which was very clearly one of the, the points in which we're the least affected. Now, I, that you could take that however you want. The bottom line is that was something the scientific study found. Now, that all that shows you is an ethnic focus, and that's a really important point. And that seems to be what they were trying to accomplish. Any wartime use of any of these things, well, they couldn't use any weapon like this if it was going to just arp, you know attack everybody everywhere. They would need it to be something that would be focused on only certain people of certain, you know, whether it's a certain location or specifically the kind of people that are on the other side of the battlefield that may be from a different country. And that patent was filed in 2002 on work funded by NIAID's Anthony Fauci from 1999 to 2002. And that work patented at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, mysteriously preceded SARS 1.0 by a year. <gasps> Dave, are you suggesting that SARS 1.0 wasn't from a wet market in Wuhan? Are you suggesting it might have come from a laboratory in the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill? No, I'm not suggesting it. I'm telling you that's the facts. That's what Dr. Boyle says as well, that all of these things are bioweapons starting to build up. We engineered SARS. SARS is not a naturally occurring phenomenon. The naturally occurring phenomenon is called the common cold. It's called influenza-like illness. It's called gastroenteritis. That's the naturally occurring coronavirus. 
SARS is the research developed by humans weaponizing a life system model to actually attack human beings. And they patented it in 2002. And in 2003, giant surprise, the CDC filed the patent on coronavirus isolated from humans in violation, once again, of biological and chemical weapons treaties and laws that we have in the United States. And I'm very, very precise on this. The United States likes to talk about its rights and everything else and the rule of law and all the nonsense that we like to talk about. But we don't ratify treaties about, I don't know, defending humans. We conspicuously avoid that. We actually have a great track record of advocating for human rights and then denying them when it comes to actually being part of the international community, which is a slightly problematic thing. So sad. But let's get something very clear. When the CDC in April of 2003 filed the patent on SARS coronavirus isolated from humans, what did they do? They downloaded a sequence from China and filed a patent on it in the United States. Sound familiar? Any of you familiar with biological and chemical weapons treaties knows that's a violation. That's a crime. That's not an innocent oops. That's a crime. Which these things only apply to their adversaries. If you if you doubt that for a second, you're not paying attention to history. It's undeniably obvious that these things or they just create a narrative which they say circumvents the law, but doesn't apply to anybody else. It's 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 disgusting. Right. These are these are bad people. That's not just unique to the United States government, but it's very clear about the U.S. government. And the United States Patent Office went as far as to reject that patent application on two occasions until the CDC decided to bribe the patent office to override the patent examiner to ultimately issue the patent in 2007 on SARS coronavirus. But let's not let that get away from us, because it turns out that the RT-PCR which was the test that we allegedly were going to use to identify the risks associated with coronavirus, was actually identified as a bioterrorism threat by me in the European Union-sponsored events in 2002 and 2003, 20 years ago. That happened here in Brussels and across Europe. In 2005, This particular pathogen was specifically labeled as a bioterrorism and bioweapon platform technology. Described as such, that's not my terminology that I'm applying to it. It was actually described as a bioweapons platform technology in 2005. And from 2005 onwards, it was actually a biowarfare enabling agent. It's official classification from 2005 forward. I don't know if that sounds like public health to you. Does it? Biological warfare enabling technology. That feels like not public health. That feels like not medicine. That feels like a weapon. Let's not forget that Robert Langer went through the same process, which we'll show you in a minute. Repeatedly trying to get his technology patent, and they kept saying no. They kept saying no over and over and over until he eventually got enough momentum with people backing him in the government to get it forced through. There's an interesting correlation to all of this. It's as if they're building separate parts of this in different locations. Designed to take out humanity. That's what it feels like. And it feels like that because that's exactly what it is. We have been lured into believing that EcoHealth Alliance and DARPA and all of these organizations are what we should be pointing to. But we've been specifically requested to ignore the facts that over 
$10 billion have been funneled through black operations through the check of Anthony Fauci and a side-by-side ledger where NIAID has a balance sheet and next to it is a biodefense balance sheet equivalent dollar-for-dollar matching that no one in the media talks about. Just in case you don't hear, the point is on a paper on a paper trail, you can show that it's the same spending amount to the dollar in regard to the the, the bio research versus the the you know illusory put forward discussion, which is you know again it's like it's like the conversation. Well, I think you don't need to look much further than to see how clumsily they tried to rebrand gain of function as EPPP during this conversation. It's I don't think they ever truly thought people would start paying as much attention. But we are right. And you can watch them try to patch this up in real time. And it's been going on since 2005. Our gain of function moratorium, the moratorium that was supposed to freeze any efforts to do gain of function research. Conveniently, in the fall of 2014, the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, received a letter from NIAID saying that while the gain of function moratorium on coronavirus in vivo should be suspended because their grants had already been funded, they received an exemption. Did you hear what I just said? A biological weapons lab facility at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, received an exemption from the gain-of-function moratorium so that by 2016, we could publish the, the journal article that said, SARS coronavirus is poised for human emergence in 2016. So the study that just so happened to be the primary focal point now looking back and we see we saw it coming to justify why they all knew a pandemic was coming, just so happened to be the one gain-of-function research that was just, it, it was allowed because, well, we already funded them, so we, we might as well just let them continue for two years with the research we deemed so dangerous that we stopped the world from doing it. But you go ahead for two years, though. You know, we, we funded you already. Does anybody take that seriously? Like, the only reason we know about that is because this is you know, it's being exposed. But the idea that they would say, this is so dangerous, we all have to stop, but we'll just let you go since we already handed the money over. Like, that's just, and then that study itself becomes that primary to where we are now. It's almost like you want to say they're bad at this. I just think they've gotten so comfortable thinking people aren't paying attention. And what, you might ask, Dave, was the coronavirus poised for human emergence? It was WIV1. Wuhan Institute of Virology Virus 1. This is why there's collaboration guys they're working together in my opinion and i think that's very obvious it doesn't have to be every part of every part of the government on either side but there is collaboration here clearly was the coronavirus poised for human emergence it was w i v one wuhan institute of virology virus one Poised for human emergence in 2016 at the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, such that by the time we get to 2017 and 2018, the following phrase entered into common parlance among the community. There is going to be an accidental or intentional release of a respiratory pathogen. The operative word, obviously, in that phrase, the word release. (laughs) Does that sound like leak? Does that sound like a bat and a pangolin went into a bar in the Wuhan market 
and hung out and had sex. And and lo and behold, we got SARS-CoV-2. No. Accidental or intentional release of a respiratory pathogen was the terminology used. And four times in April of 2019, seven months before the allegation of patient number one, four patent applications of Moderna were modified to include the term accidental or intentional release of a respiratory pathogen. At one point, more than anything else we're hearing right now, think about how crazy obvious that is literally added based on the study that was allowed to continue through the two years post stopping. I mean, this is just, this is why he is so, this is very, very clear aside from whether you think there's really something there legally speaking, this trail of paperwork, how in the world do you deny something like this? Then, then they add in the exact language which justify. Now think about how, why it would even make sense to argue that you somehow know because what you're researching coronaviruses that in, in a couple of years, there's going to be an intentional accidental release. Then it happens. And I mean, it's just, it's just as silly as everything else we're hearing. And all they say in the corporate discussion, Oh, well, they're experts. They knew because that's what they've been studying. Well, that, you don't just know these things. And exactly in line with what then justifies the next step and the next step, and it just continues down. It's silly. As the justification for making a vaccine for a thing that did not exist. Was the terminology used, and four times in April of 2019, seven months before the allegation of patient number one, four patent applications of Moderna were modified to include the term accidental or intentional release of a respiratory pathogen as the justification for making a vaccine for a thing that did not exist. Keep going. If you have not done so, please make sure that you make reference in every investigation to the premeditation nature of this, because it was in September of 2019 that the world was informed that we were going to have an accidental or intentional release of a respiratory pathogen so that by September 2020, there would be a worldwide acceptance of a universal vaccine template. That's their words right right in front of you on the screen. The intent was to get the world to accept a universal vaccine template, and the intent was to use coronavirus to get there. And the last slide. How long have we been talking about that? This isn't advancing, so if I could have somebody doing it. Let's let's read this because we have to read this into the record everywhere I go. Until an infectious disease crisis is very real, present and at the emergency threshold that is often largely ignored to sustain the funding base beyond the crisis. He said we need to increase the public understanding for the need for medical countermeasures such as a pan influenza or pan coronavirus vaccine. A key driver is the media and the economics will follow the hype. We need to use that hype to our advantage to get to the real issues. Investors will respond if they see profit at the end of the process. This is just like the document we show you from HHS, where they're calling out the flu pneumonia version of this same game before COVID-19. And what did they point to? The exact same thing of a world vaccine summit. And they're literally going, we need to hype the fear to sell vaccines. Like that's paraphrasing, but that's quite literally what they were saying. Of course, in their mind, they're saying, because it's right for you, because it's the right thing to do, because we know it's it. But they're arguing, well, no one's taking them anymore. What are we going to do? 
this is all of the, they, they, I don't think they, they think people will dismiss things like this or uh, give them the benefit of the doubt and say, well, it's because they're ultimately good either way. So of course they should trick you into taking them if you don't want them, because if you don't want them, you're a conspiracy theorist. Well, that's a very self-serving way to look at it. The reality is very clearly they're trying to push the idea of this, whether or not they're needed. Well, we can just, if we hype it enough, we'll get the money on the back end. That's exactly what's happening. Now we now have the evidence of all the harm that's been done, and they're still trying to push it. And they're already preparing the next one, which I'll show you after this. As he just said, the pan-universal flu coronavirus vaccine and ones that include all of them, by the way, right now being worked on, as well as the ferret and spike nanoparticle injection, just all of this stuff rapidly escalating forward, even though we see what just happened. Sounds like public health. Sounds like the best of humanity. No, ladies and gentlemen, this was premeditated domestic terrorism stated at the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences in 2015, published in front of them. This is an this is an act of biological and chemical warfare perpetrated on the human race. And it was admitted to in writing that this was a financial heist and a financial fraud. Investors will follow if they see profit at the end of the process. Let me conclude by making five very brief recommendations. The last slide. Nature was hijacked. This whole story started in 1965 when we decided to hijack a natural model and decide to start manipulating it. Science was hijacked when the only questions that could be asked were questions authorized under the patent protection of the CDC, the FDA, the NIH, and their equivalent organizations around the world. Let's not forget that after World War II, Dr. Ishii and his disgusting biological research from Japan became the basis for this entire program. So you can see at least 1965 on the record is when they began to deviate into this direction and started manipulating with life. Manipulating life, as well as, you know, the Nazi scientist and Operation Paperclip and the whole damn thing. Right. So it's interesting timing. You can see this. Like this is, you know, you could go as far as to argue that the, you know, whatever the binary way to look at it, that the bad guys won right? or however you want to look at it. The point is that the stuff they were doing didn't stop the eugenics, the research. It kept going under a different name. We didn't have independent science. We had hijacked science. And unfortunately, there was no moral oversight in violation of all of the codes that we stand for. There was no independent, financially disinterested, independent review board ever impaneled around coronavirus. Not once. Of course not. Not once. Not since 1965. We do not have a single independent IRB ever impaneled around coronavirus. So morality was suspended for medical countermeasures. And ultimately, humanity was lost because we decided to allow it to happen. Our job today is to say no more gain of function research, period. No more weaponization of nature, period. And most importantly, no more corporate patronage of science for their own self-interest unless they assume 100% product liability for every injury and every death that they maintain. Thank you very much. Now, I rarely go through an entire video, especially that long, but you could see is, I hope you can see why that was so important. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't even, it doesn't, it really doesn't even matter if you, if there's parts of that you think he's wrong about, or, you know, the, the part that I'm so interested in, well, all of it really, because I do quite frankly think this makes more sense than anything. But the idea that we have the, the, the patent paper trail 
is something that nobody should be dismissing right now, regardless of whether those are patents for things you think don't exist. The point is clearly it's happening. Whatever this is on the paper trail, you can see they're they're doing something. Uh, even if you think that's just faking what's going on. The point is you can use that to still prove that they are lying. That's what's really important to reach people that aren't paying attention. But Kim also follows up by pointing this out. And by the way, I have this is being stated. I'm not I've just my research quickly on this. I can't confirm whether this has actually happened or not. But it says the Russian Ministry of Foreign Affairs announced today that they have confiscated samples of human human engineered avian flu pathogens in Ukrainian labs funded by the U.S. government capable of infecting humans, potential kill rate of 40 percent. Now, that's something that the Ministry of, the, of Foreign Affairs from Russia has stated. I was just looking at it earlier, but I haven't dove into it deep enough. But I just want to show you that on the back of this. But so there's a lot of things he went over there. A lot. A lot of the stuff that we've talked about. Now, let me go over a few parts of this that I think will really connect this potentially with Robert Langer and that that overlap into the idea, the into the realm of nanotechnology. Right. Because I don't think there's any way to decouple these things. It's very clear that the lipid nanoparticle discussion, which, by the way, goes all the way back as far as I can tell to 1979, I think. I remember the date correctly. The timing is interesting, right? So you have the 65 research he was just talking about. And then in 79, you have the, the beginnings of the lipid nanoparticle, poly nanoparticle research, which then began, that opened the door to the a lot of things, really, but the idea of one, we're talking about the lipid nanoparticle, really using the virus as a vector to deliver, or rather nanoparticles to deliver, in Langer's part of it, something, a payload, right? So that sounds like a weapon in its, in, in its infancy. But then you have the idea of the, uh, all the other moving parts to this, where it became the, you know, the mRNA side of this, the mod RNA side of this. There's a lot of angles to this. But as I've been seeing recently, I've been sharing with you, there's seemingly like different moving parts that were collected, even though none of them have been tested before all this in your body. And I truly believe it's a combination of an experiment to see if we, they can viably make this work, whether for weapons or for gen- injections or whatever you want to frame it as, just using you as the experiment, as well as a larger d- d- direction to use this as well. We've gotten into the artificial intelligence side of this, the nanotech meshing. There's a lot of different possibilities. And I do think there's a lot of moving parts or multifaceted agendas. But here was the discussion of Ralph Barrick. U.S. did, in fact, very clearly, you could look it up. I have this, the source material as with everything I ever discuss, as you can see, all beneath it, where he worked on myocarditis-inducing, or excuse me, coronavirus-induced myocarditis on rabbits, and I believe it was 1998 in the, in the late 90s. It's undeniable, right? And then, of course, the next one I did on this was where they then tried to use that in caves in China to self-spread it amongst the bats. So you can see all the same work. Don't forget, we just talked about the spike protein itself and how that was clearly something that's been weaponized all the way back since the mid-60s to now. So, it's, And that's why we see the Salk Institute and plenty of others going, weird, this weird anomaly of this protein that seems to be able to infect other people and spread. And so that is one of these things. Based on all the research we're seeing, if a spike protein from this, or whatever we want to call it, comes off, can infect somebody, which can cause symptoms, and then can spread again, and then understand that what's happening then, if you get the spike protein, which gets you sick, which causes symptoms, then you cough on somebody, are you spreading spike protein? That's not what you would logically think, right? Because you, you get the virus, then you spread some kind of something, you spread something, well, it's not the spike protein you're spreading. So is that even a spike protein we're talking about? Like, there's so many layers to this. In any case, you can see how this is clearly not what we've been told, and it goes back a long way. 
This is he's talk, the idea of the DARPA overlap. Well, we talked about this. Whitney wrote this in 2020 for The Last American Vagabond. Coronavirus gives a dangerous boost to DARPA's darkest agenda. It's been ongoing for quite a long time. Now, here is an important conversation. I'll just play the clip of this. Here's the full 58-minute discussion if you want to look at it. The universal flu vaccine from 2019. Here's Rick Bright and Fauci discussing that they need something like this to disrupt the field. Because if we're talking about how the universal flu vaccine was always, or just the universal vaccine platform was always the direction, and they needed something to test out certain different circumstances or or to justify to the population, you'll hear what he says right here. That, well, we should just do it without whether or not you understand it, basically paraphrasing, and, you know, just, you, I'll let him say it himself. I'm forgetting how exactly he framed it. But the point being is they needed something like what just happened to be able to push into this new discussion. And now what are they doing? Pushing into the new discussion. Trial for universal flu vaccines is now underway. Well, what do you know? It worked exactly like you just heard Martin telling you it was going to work. Here's the clip I'll play so you can just hear him talking about this. Why don't we blow the system up? I mean, obviously we can't. System being the classic vaccine vaccine system. What we, what they were doing prior to this new pan-universal concept. Now, here's what's weird, by the way. As they were having this conversation, most people didn't even don't know, even right now, that the current flu vaccine they give is either tri, tri or quadvalent already. That's not the platform, understand, but that's already in the same direction of what we were not, they kind of presented as a new thing with the bivalent shot today, or at least as most people took it. But the point is the platform discussion about being able to insert new genetic sequences with no safety testing and pump out new vaccines. That's what they're talking about. Going back, going away from the eggs, growing in chicken eggs and the embryos and all the stuff they were doing before. We blow the system up. I mean, obviously, we can't just turn off the spigot on the system we have and then say, hey, everyone in the world should get this new vaccine we haven't given to anyone yet. Which is, by the way, literally what happened after after the new thing. I I just it's amazing that people act like this is all a string of wildly impossible coincidences. One, maybe, but over and over and over and over and over that they predict it and happens. They tell it's just it's. It takes a special kind of stupid to not to not. Well, you know what it is. It's not even stupid. It's fear. People are afraid to go. Yep, that's clearly what we're talking about. They don't want to acknowledge it because that makes them undermine their entire worldview. So listen to what he said again. The timing of this. Why don't we blow the system up? I mean, obviously, we can't just turn off the spigot on the system we have and then say, hey, everyone in the world should get this new vaccine we haven't given to anyone yet. But there must be some way that we grow vaccines mostly in eggs the way we did in 1947. In order to make the transition from getting out of the tried and true egg growing, which hardly tried and true. I mean, my God, like I'm going to get into in another show coming up soon. The HPV vaccine, like these classic understanding, like it's they're hurting people. There's a new study that just came out about HPV showing you that it's like it's not at all what we've been told. The point is that this is just one experiment to the next, to be quite honest. Which we know gives us results that can be, you know, beneficial. I mean, we've done well with that to something that has to be much better. Uh, you have to prove that this works. Better for whom exactly? And then you've got to go through all of the clinical trials, phase ones, phase twos, phase three, and then show that this particular product is going to be good over a period of years. 
except we didn't do that at all, right? Except they did the literal opposite of that and just said, do it or you're going to go to jail. Do it or you're going to be fired. Do whatever we're going to take your children away from you for your safety. That alone, if it works perfectly, is going to take a decade. There might be. I mean, everyone's played that. So what exactly is different that now you say, oh, we're in danger so we don't have to care about safety? Like, that's the joke I keep making. How do you rationalize doing dangerous things for our safety? It doesn't matter whether you say we're in the middle of a pandemic. You are pushing something that you have. I mean, of course, the point was they did that to justify what they wanted to do, not because that's a logical thing to say. So all these mindless regurgitators out there that were saying that we need to do it because the benefits outweigh the risk, they were just following in line. That doesn't make sense. You don't just rush through in novel technology because we're in danger. That's your, your balance. You're, you're trading one risk, unknown risk for another unknown risk. But in this case, we know that it wasn't really an unknown risk. They knew it wasn't dangerous. And they pushed something they did know it was an unknown risk because that they wanted to experiment on you. A need or even an take a decade. There might be a need or even an urgent call for uh, an entity right. of excitement out there that's completely disruptive. That's you know, like an mRNA platform that they've been working on for a decade or more, or far more than that, they can insert like it's new and disrupt the entire plot because they want you to get on board with their new discussion. Not beholden to bureaucratic strings and, and, and processes. So we really do have a problem of how the world perceives influenza, and it's going to be very difficult to change that unless you do it from within and say, I don't care what your perception is. We're going to address the problem. In a- and that's what just happened, right? So they, they, they spin you a narrative and go, you just take this and shut up. Now we're going to do this. We're going to shift into the platform direction and the nanoparticles because we've decided it's better or they don't care and it's a experiment. The point is, however you want to frame it, that's what just happened. They're literally telling you what they were about to do or rather just discussing what makes sense. And in the back room, they decided, yeah, let's do that whether it's because they don't care about your safety or because they, you want to believe they genuinely want to do what's right and they decided the platform was the right thing for the future. I don't ever buy that. I think that's ridiculous. But if that makes it easier for you to digest, the point is they said this and then literally did that, which is easy to prove. Because now as we can look back on it, we know, they, of course they hid stuff. Give us 75 years. No, that's not going to work for us. They decided this. They pushed it through. And they just don't care what you think because they don't think you're smart enough to understand what they want to accomplish. If you want to pretend the game is that they're doing it for right reasons. I just don't believe that. From within and say, I don't care what your perception is. We're going to address the problem in a disruptive way and in an iterative way because you do need both. But it is not too crazy to think that an outbreak of a novel avian virus could occur in in China somewhere. We could get the RNA sequence from that, beam it to a number of regional centers, if not local, if not even in your home at some point, and print those vaccines on a patch and self-administer. Of course, right? 2019 literally goes, hey, we could do what literally we're about to do which was, as I've shown you on Moderna's platform many times, China pumps out a genetic sequence on January 11th, and boom, two days later, they're making vaccines because they weren't prepared at all. Clearly, this is what the plan was. They didn't need anything isolated, even if you think it was, because they didn't, because the CDC of China also told everybody that they didn't have it isolated when they sent that, right? And why has the data not been shared? 
No, they didn't isolate the virus. That's the issue. See, speaking with the corporate media. Okay, so whether or not you think it eventually did, which I still argue didn't happen, it didn't matter though, right? Because that's literally what they wanted to try. That's what they wanted to try is whether or not they could make this happen. Beam it to a number of regional centers, if not local, if not even in your home at some point, and print those vaccines on a patch and self-administer. Now, aside from the patch and self-administer, that's what happened. Because the platform is the next step. Now, you don't have to think this is nefarious. I clearly do. But at the very least, realize that you're not being told what's going on. Now, you could, you, and if, you, if you're still somehow denying all of the damage that's been caused by this, that's on you. But the point is, they either clumsily stumbled into killing off millions of people, or they chose to do this because of a depopulation agenda, or they just didn't care and want to see what would happen, or you, you, know, you fill in the blank. Either way, you can't miss the dishonesty around all this. And now, just like they told you, here we are right after this, sprinting in to the universal flu vaccine based on mRNA technology. It's the same damn thing. This is alarming. Now, here is Tedros telling you exactly what we were just talking about, right? The next one is coming. Now, as always... What they really want from you is to just buy what they're selling, right? So here he's telling you, well, you know, we, we did our research, you know, and we realized that we weren't prepared. So what we need from you is more money, more power, more control. And then next time we'll have it under control. You know, that reminds me of the same thing they said after the last one and the one before that and the one before that and the one before that and the one before that. I'm not making that up. Go back and look. What happened after SARS? Oh, SARS. Well, you know, we, t- t- we weren't prepared. We didn't have enough this and ventilators and this. We weren't ready. And yeah. And you know what they find almost verbatim in every single pandemic preparedness exercise? What do you know? They literally find every time we weren't prepared. We didn't have masks. We didn't have ventilators. You know what they found at the end of Event 201 with plenty of time before this agenda kicked off? Hey, we didn't have enough masks, not enough ventilators. We weren't prepared. We weren't. De- And then you know what they did after they got that information? Literally nothing. And then you know what happened during the so-called pandemic? They didn't have enough masks. They didn't have enough ventilators. (laughs) Like it's almost, it it is comical in a macabre way. So what are you doing these exercises for? If every time you find that you're not prepared and then literally every time you don't go do the things that you found you need to do to be prepared. And then literally every time when the thing happens, it turns out you're not ready the way as you discovered you weren't going to be ready. Now, that's either the stupidest group of people in history that just can't seem to tie their shoes in the web. Look, these things connect. We realize we need it. We need to buy it. Or it's about getting you to think that there's a certain thing they need or getting you to think that it was just about you. being Okay, every time it amounts to more control and more money and you give them more control and more money and another thing happens, they go, you know, what we need this time is more control. and more. So what's it really about? More control and more money as well as a lot of other things. But that's the easy way to look at it. So here we are again. Despite Event 201, despite everything historically, despite the, the SARS pandemic uh, uh, or the SPARS pandemic exercise discussion or any of them, that all still find that we're not not only are they not going to be ready, but in fact that they get caught lying to their own people and the people discover that they were hiding information. That is actually what the government wrote out in their own exercise, that they got caught lying about what happened. How do you even make sense of that? Well, here's Tedros doing the same thing. Colleagues and friends, as you know, 
There have been several reviews of the global response to the pandemic with many recommendations for strengthening global health security. They all recognize the need for better systems and tools, better financing, including for global public goods such as vaccines. Right. So all the things that they recognized they needed the last 20 years and never actually did. Not that, that, not that doing so would have made any difference because this is not really what it's about. But just realize that it, it's insulting to your intelligence to pretend that this is actually what's needed as opposed to just honesty. Better global governance and a stronger, empowered and sustainably financed WHO. To connect and underpin these ideas, I believe the time is right for an international treaty or other legally binding instrument to provide the framework for a more coherent and coordinated response to future epidemics. Which is what they're building now, is the, is the pandemic treaty and the accords and the, the amendments, what's happening? Which will remove your sovereignty, which we've already outlined very clearly, when they decide there's something happening or decide they state something's happening so they can justify certain kinds of military and political action. As we've shown you very clearly, it's stated as plain as day in the documentation that should the United States, let's say, decide amongst themselves that there's an outbreak in Iran, then Iran has to let them in no matter what, because, well, it's for everybody's safety. And, you know, we're going to go ahead and pretend that it's not possible that the U.S. government could lie about that in order to achieve a political end because they've never done that before or any other government, let's say. Right. And then, of course, if something really does happen, let's say an outbreak occurs in the United States. Well, then if Russia speaks up and says there's an outbreak in the United States, well, they're going to say, no, Russia's lying for political reasons. And maybe that's the truth. But you see how obviously this gets out of control where you get powerful people that have vested interest in lying to you all the time. You give them the power to dictate foreign policy based on the illusion of problems that they've already created. Well, it's a guaranteed recipe for more totalitarian control. And pandemics. Whatever new structures or mechanisms are established, they must promote equity and galvanize the engagement and ownership of all countries. Now, somebody was just talking about equity, I think it was in, in the European Parliament, I forget. But just pointing out that if, if this is something that you think is fo some worth focus, I personally find all government to be equally concerning. But that if you look at what equity actually means and where the definition, the terms come from, that it's basically the same thing as, as, as socialism or like the ideas behind it. Which, again, my point would be that any government, regardless of whether you think it should begin with benefiting more people versus benefiting more you know, free market or however you want to look at it. Governments abuse government and cons consolidate power over you. I, it's, it's literally look at what we're living through right now. Sure, sure. Clearly, democracy's worked out, even though that's not really what this is. It all leads to totalitarian control. Power collects the top and they control your lives, period. We have to start seeing that. And the idea that one side thinks one's good, one thinks the other good. It's, it's the two-party paradigm, division tactics in literally everything we do. They must be multi-sectoral, involving partners from across the One Health spectrum. They must be coherent with the international health regulations. They must be rooted in the constitutional mandate of WHO. And they must be accountable and transparent. Thank you for your engagement in discussing and analyzing the legal tools available for pandemic preparedness.
as we prepare for the next one that you know i'd say is uh will get attention this time <laughs> that somebody obviously added that at the end the point though clearly is just that this is the same game perhaps all over again Run, jump right into the next one and the point is state like th- that we must do this and we must do that like why do we pretend that they have any authority over the sovereignty of individual countries? That's not what this is even supposed to be about. But that's very clearly where this is going, as we now have a, a new, you know, N- Middle East Indian NATO trying to be set up by the U.S. government under the guise that it's for helping Ukraine, even though it's just NATO's control of another location. It's the same thing. They're, they're increasing this control everywhere you look right now. Always what it's about. Always. Now, here is an important one to understand how what they have done is continuing to show itself in undeniable ways that they're just hoping you don't pay attention to. This is from March, May 23rd, 2023, and it is peer-reviewed. From Curious, I think you say it, Curious maybe. Bottom line, these findings indicate that something must have happened in spring 2021 that led to a sudden and sustained increase in mortality to this very point, although no such effects on mortality have been observed during the early COVID-19 pandemic. Oops, there you go. So for those that were going to go, oh, it's COVID, ask me COVID, or it's long COVID. No, it's not. And that's what they very clearly found. Now, they get into all the different discussions. We're probably going to circle back to this one in general. It's an important study. But I just wanted to include this so people can see it, research it. The bottom line is that the obvious correlation with the beginnings of the injections, which we'll go to the, here's the study, but here's the picture. This is Ontario, but it's the same anywhere you look for the most part, that you see a very clear very clear co- correlation with 2021 when we're, what's exactly what we're talking about here. Spring of 2021, right? So a couple of months after the beginning of this mass injections, you saw the sustained increase, sudden and sustained increase of mortality that hasn't gone away that's not COVID-19. I mean, really takes a special willful ignorance to not be able to go it's very clear what this most likely is. It's just, it, there's no way around it. My opinion is it's obviously the injection. And even if but being objective, though, it's guaranteed to be some of it. But I, being objective, I can't know for sure that it's all of that. It could be any number of other factors. And, but the point is that this injection is hurting people. All the peer-reviewed science makes that clear. All the evidence about when it started. And now we even have more peer-reviewed science coming out and saying, well, yes, it's not COVID. The excess mortality, which, by the way, even they are forced to admit. Then they do some weird kind of piecemeal like, well, it's because of the lack of cancer testing. And then the ch- children didn't get their other injections, and which none of which you can prove. Those are all subjective hypothetical points that you think when you bunch together, suddenly it makes sense. Funny how when I tried to bunch together all of the very, 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 very low risk side effects in a big pile, you said that doesn't make sense, <laughs> even though that's exactly what you're doing right there. But, you know, it's all hip- double standards and hypocrisy. But here's Dr. Eli David just kind of quickly summing it up, saying that this is these, the study analyzes both of these and says months with higher numbers of vaccinations also just happen to have higher excess deaths. What do you know? A similar pattern was observed with stillbirths. Now, this has continued to happen. Now, I'm not saying I know for sure what this is. Oh, wait a second. Make sure. Oh, good. Okay. The collapsing people is happening everywhere. And I'm getting really tired with the people that are so quick to say that anybody honest is not saying that we know everybody collapsing all the time is because of the injection. That's stupid. 
It really is because people have collapsed. It happens. But to pretend that it's not like smacking you in the face obvious that this is a clear problem right now. It's sort of like pretending there is no excess death or pretending there's no neonatal death problem in Scotland or everywhere. It's willful ignorance. And this is what I was saying before down here. I basically said... um, Anyway, I think I think no, we put it right there. Anyway, the point is, my, the argument I made was simply that if if you are still at this point today, making the argument that the myocarditis induced vaccination is not a very serious problem, then you're not a serious person. And I'm not saying that to, you shouldn't you hear what people want to say, engage in the conversation. But it's not it's not a, there's nothing to dispute. I'm not saying I can prove that it has to be this injection, but you can verifiably prove based on their research. Other peer-reviewed science and real-world observation, which I don't know what else we're talking about, that very clearly, as even they've admitted, these injections are causing an increase in myocarditis. But yet, when you engage with this with people, they'll push back in multiple ways, saying stupidly that, yeah, well, COVID's got myocarditis problem too. No, no, it doesn't. And we're, we, the more and more science is coming out and showing you that, that, that's, that the manipulation is very clear in that. But also that there's a dramatically high risk when it comes to the injection and myocarditis, specifically Pfizer. And all the scientists can back that up. So when I point this out and say another person collapsed, it's because it's important to see that this is a building problem. As I said, oh, well, I'll just let me play it first so you can see it. UConn's men basketball team later today. And uh, there's the men's champs. Folks, it's okay. Forget. Oh, yeah. What do you know? He's not good on his feet, apparently. Not good on the fly. I mean, Biden, actually. But as I say, here's what I said. I'm not saying we know for sure what caused this. Merely that it's undeniable that there's a highly statistically significant increase in occurrence of people collapsing just like that that's not associated with COVID-19. If you're still talking, taking the stance that it's being misrepresented, you're ignoring the facts and shouldn't be taken seriously. I, I mean that. Now, if people that are out there going, well, here, here are other facts that add to the picture of making something. Like, the point is not to dismiss people. But if you are literally ignoring the reality of the situation with the data, then you're, it's, it's, it's absurd. Now, to c- kind of counterbalance that with something else, the conversation of, let's say, people arguing of the virus drain theory or germ theory conversation, right? We're saying, well, you shouldn't even engage with other people. Well, the, the difference in that is ultimately that there is evidence that we're presenting continually presenting that is getting ignored or vice versa in that conversation. There's more to the story. And I'm not saying I'm dismissing terrain theory. You see, I'm saying it's important to continue to flesh this out. And I don't think it's completely proven on either side of this. Whereas in this conversation, people are going, nope, it's not happening. Not to say, well, that there, I think there's more to this or I'm still considering this. There's people that are pushing back as if this is not real at all, which is interesting what's happening on one side of the other conversation. We're, we're not even going to consider one side. That's not even possible. You see, that is the problem in any sense of the conversation, in any conversation. The problem is very clear, in my opinion. I'm not saying I know what's causing it, but we know there's a problem. Here is Dr. Pierre Corey telling you exactly what we've been saying. Every single one of these things is dangerous for everybody, period. 
completely estranged from my profession and in some ways even society. It's, it's literally a society that's been corrupted by forces and nobody realizes. We sit in these little bubbles, we read our New York Times, and we think everything's going as, as according to plan. You know, we, we even have uh, my colleague over there who says that we saved a million lives with these vaccines. That is utter and complete nonsense. Nonsense. These vaccines saved no one. Across the world, the most highly vaccinated countries had the worst case fatality rates. Anytime you hear data on vaccine injuries, you always have to multiply it by a huge factor. And yet, even without that underreporting factor, it was truly concerning. The history of regulatory behavior of agencies is when you launch a new product or a new intervention and a death is reported, the traditional stance is you assume that it's related until proven otherwise. Right. This is what I keep talking about. And this is the point. The people lying to you about the Bayer system, they know that they're lying. Right. This is why I can't get away from how clear this. They willfully are lying. They know for a matter of fact that they're misrepresenting the way the system is supposed to be used. Now, how do you explain that other than a dishonest tactic to try to hide something from them, from you that they don't want you to see? As I point out, Dr. Rain from from the U.K., has said on the record with The Guardian in 2006 that you do not need to prove signal systems. You just need enough signal and you stop it and then you research. So the idea that you can go, ah, it's all conspiracy theorists lying on back, which, by the way, nobody has proven because I don't know how you would even prove that. The point is it doesn't matter. The system is there and they're still using it. When they point at the system and say, here's the Bayer system showing you X, Y, and Z, how do you make sense of that when they're alternatively dismissing it in certain ways? Because we're being lied to. We all need to get come to terms with this. This is a big deal. We're realizing, it's, it's like realizing that Santa Claus doesn't exist. It's like realizing your parents are fallible. There's a moment that we all need to come past here, realizing that this is not what it looks like. The FDA, the EPA, these groups have long since been co-opted by corporate interests and frankly, far more sinister things in my opinion, but realize that we are being lied to across the board. And I heard out of the mouths of public health leaders saying the opposite. They're not related. They're not related. It's all incredible. Wow. I mean, we have baby formula, which kills a couple of babies and the entire product is removed from the market. You have a faulty muffler on a car and they recall 300,000 cars. And here you have all of these deaths being reported and nobody's doing anything. I've never been more terrified in my life. We have an explosion in autism, which is totally coincident and correlates with the explosion in the schedule. And I'll tell you, my colleagues here, they're going to say there's no evidence to show that there's any link with autism and the vaccines. That is nonsense. That is nonsense. Hmm. It's just sad because people are so afraid and so stuffed up with self-righteousness because of a system that allows the wrong people to feel better than you. As I've said before, even during this, right, where they fired everyone with integrity and what you were left with was people that were too dumb to know they were wrong or people that didn't care. That's every field you look at right now. The problem is that is obvious. Now, if, if, even if you don't want to get into the autism discussion, which, by the way, uh, Scott just put up a recent post on our Substack, which you should check out. There's more coming that way in regard to this overlap, you know, just going into the details, the data you can read for yourself. But the real point. For, for, for Pierre Corey's thing, just ultimately the idea of the Bayer system, right? I mean, how in the world are you going to have these people step in, as he just pointed at, and say, it's unrelated? Well, explain for me how they know that. Because the whole argument is it's unverified, which means, and we have proven repeatedly, and the CDC was even forced to admit that they didn't verify all of these. So their argument was, we don't know. Therefore, we shouldn't consider them dangerous. Okay, 
even though that's an absurd stance to take while you're forcing it on children. Explain for me how these other trumped up doctors are stepping in going, we know they're unrelated when they literally just said we don't know because it's unverified. This is my point. So this, that, those doctors are either really bad at their jobs because they think they're correct by just following along or they're liars, which is even more concerning. Same argument goes for the government and the same institutions we're talking about. Now, to bring this into the very dangerous vehicle, whatever this is, whether you think it's a, an illusion, whether you think it's an injection, whether you think it's a bioweapon, whether, you know, whatever, whatever your perception is. Here's what we the, the narrative and the way this went forward. So you just heard D- David Martin talking about the time frame and what it really was meant to be. Well, let's go into some of the points over the nanotechnology Lieber Langer overlap that I think very much exp- explains more about where this is going and where it was. This is an article from 2022 talking about the earlier days with with Robert Langer. Don't forget, he's the the co-founder of Moderna, a, a, a name of a company that has literally done nothing except this current iteration of mRNA platform work. Their entire company was built on the idea that was failing up until COVID-19 and kept getting turned down with every patent. Everything was not going to work. No one buy it. Everyone thought it was ridiculous until COVID-19 happened. And now we're still seeing that it's really not even working, but they're still pushing it anyway. The point is the name stood for mod RNA. That's what the name comes from, even though they're seemingly desperately trying to hide that that's what they're using, not mRNA, mod RNA. N1 methyl pseudouridine modified RNA. That's what it is. It's not, it's, not gen- it's not natural, which is what they really want you to think. This is genetically altered with other lipid nanoparticles and everything else. And each part of this is concerning. Now, what I want to show you, well, they asked him, did you think Moderna would be successful when you established it in 2010? The platform, mRNA-based medicines delivered to the body via nanoparticles, had revolutionary potential. I'll say, this, it's, this is an important thing to hear. Before COVID-19, in, before 2010, he built this company, as one of the people, around his foundational work. A platform that was about mRNA-based medicines delivered via nanoparticles. Now, why, so why are, we, why are we led to believe? And don't forget, in 2011, the very next year, was when Robert, Le- or, uh, Robert Tra- Charles Lieber successfully created the virus size transistor. January, February 2011, which was using the lipid nanoparticle success to make it work. Coated a hairpin nanowire with fatty lipid layer in order to make it pulled easily into the cell membrane without hurting it. Because before that, they were hurting cells. A process related to one's cells to use to engulf viruses and bacteria. When a man-made structure is as small as a virus or bacteria, like the ones they made in 2011, it behaves just like biological structures. So as I've often pointed out, why don't we ask whether this is literally what COVID-19 is? Because that's what we're talking about. A virus-sized transistor, nanotechnology, that is the size of a virus in 2011 that can literally enter the cells of your body and, you know, it acts just like a virus. And they, you read it. They successfully did this. They say, no, it does. It sounds like science fiction, right? But we did, we did it. Blurring the digital and living systems like Klaus Schwab's talking about. I mean, all these overlaps. The point is, he's talking about this platform, despite them arguing like this is some new innovation from 2020 forward. As I've continued to show you, Robert Langer, Charles Lieber, and all of this work is clearly connected to everything these injections are. Not just the kind of same research 
as I'm going to get into the actual lawsuits carrying out right now, that prove this to another degree. But it had revolutionary potential, he said, because of my work on the drug delivery of large molecules. I thought we could do it, even if others doubted. I remember telling my wife that I thought Moderna would be the most successful biotech company in history. You know, as it had been failing over and over and over for, what, a decade or more? Ask yourself how that even makes sense. That not only would they not lose money, but they would keep getting more investment up until COVID just magically happened. Of course, the COVID vaccine accelerated the company's success. Of course, of course. A platform technology using mRNA that we barely even talk about even now, like prior 2020, people, what's mRNA? So he's making mRNA-based medicines delivered via nanoparticles in 2010 or even before that. Robert Langer, a pioneer in delivering mRNA into the body, failed repeatedly but kept going. They said I should give up, but I don't like to give up. So why would somebody keep investing in that? Year after year after year. You know, coming from the government, so that's why. Well, here's a 2022 article, which I've already shown you. MIT timed drug release tech opens door to self-boosting vaccine. So my question is, first is to realize this is where it's going. It's the same work. And, and realize the payload, whether in the injection you're taking now or in the new, you know, uh, cystic, cystic, uh, cystic fibrosis gene editing version that's using the same technology that's coming out like something new right now. All of them can deliver a payload of anything. And I'll get into something even more concerning about that in later in the show about the fact that nanotechnology is nanotechnology means they can use a minute version of something and it be, you know, like chemicals, chemical weapons. I mean, their own technology, Lieber's, excuse me, Robert Langer's own research, the, the vaccine technology patent. If that pops up. This one, I think it's this one. Come on. Yes, perfect. Yeah, see Robert Langer right there. Or, yeah, Robert Langer. And the point is, in this patent itself, it goes over the idea of the bottom line. It can be anything it wants. The payload could be a chemical. It could be a biological agent. It says this right in the patent. And yet they deny the dual use of this. Actually, that's why I'll just grab that. The last show I did on this. Why is that not popping up? <laughs> this is so stupid. I hate technology. <laughs> In any case, here it is. It slowly loads the back end, and I'll load it for you right here. There we go. All right. Self-boosting vaccines. From childhood immunizations to COVID-19, multiple staggered vaccine doses are key to providing full protection. Well, that's not really what we've always talked about, is it? You know, the idea that we need three doses and then more next year, that's not really what we've ever been told, but that's how they're framing it now. But can the doses be delivered all at once and lie dormant until the right time? Like This is very concerning for those of us that realize that the whole idea of informed consent becomes a problem for them and has always been a concern. Self-spreading vaccines, we can circumvent informed consent. They like praise that. So this is the idea that the technology that you're currently using, if you were dumb enough to take these injections, excuse me, is that this could right now be a lying dormant release kind of concept. That's what the technology is. The question at the heart of the new research from MIT, they describe analysis of a release mechanism from biodegradable core shell microparticles, which by the way, is what this injection is. The idea of the lipid nanoparticle, it just degrades and it lets out the instructions, the mRNA instructions, mod RNA to be exact. 
We believe these core shell particles have the potential to create a safe single injection self-boosting vaccine. What this is. Now, here we're going to get into this company. Alan, uh, let's see, Alnalam, Alnalam. Pfizer, Moderna hit with Alnalam patent lawsuits over COVID-19 vaccines. May 26th, this is from yesterday. Biotech company Alnalam Pharmaceuticals filed new lawsuits on Friday against Pfizer and Moderna, again claiming the company's COVID-19 vaccines infringe its patents. New lawsuits mark the third time that this company has sued both of them for allegedly violating its patents on lipid nanoparticles, which the vaccines use to deliver genetic material into the body. uh, Alnalam is again seeking an unspecified share of royalties from the company's vaccine sales. Pfizer earned $37.8 billion, you know, from their altruistic endeavor, (laughs) hardly, of their sales of their, and here's what's even more insulting, as Reuters says, from their sales of Comirnaty, which was never given, and Spikebacks, which was never given. No, they sold the emergency authorized version. They've never given the ones, and that's the whole point. But, you know, Moderna made $18 billion. Moderna and Pfizer have denied the allegations in earlier cases, argued by that their patents are invalid. Cambridge, Massachusetts-based Alnalam first used Alnalam. I got to keep saying it right. Alnalam first sued Moderna and Pfizer in March. It filed another pair of complaints last July over additional lipid nanoparticle patents, which were later consolidated in its early lawsuits. The lawsuits filed Friday include four new infringement cases, claims against Pfizer and three against Moderna. Remember, Moderna, the co-founder of Moderna, is Robert Langer, who is involved with the creation of this very same technology. Maybe asking how that even makes sense. We'll get into this. The complaints are part of a wave of patent lawsuits filed by biotech companies over the COVID-19 vaccines, including a case brought by Moderna against Pfizer last year. Alnalam told the Delaware court that it pioneered lipid nanoparticle technology essential to the mRNA-based vaccines more than a decade ago. It also gave Moderna confidential information about the technology in 2014 during discussions about a potential collaboration. Well, that all becomes very, very interesting when you discover that Robert Langer founded Alan Lamb Pharmaceuticals. Alan Lamb, right there. Here it is on Alan Lamb's page. That's Robert S. Langer Jr. That's his full name. Okay, so he is the founder of the company that is currently suing his other company. Okay, there's an interesting claim to be made here. Now, what does this ultimately amount to? It's ultimately confusing, but I think, what it, first of all, it shows me that all of these companies, are not, they're not, not trying to stop any of this. They just want their share of the profits, which is very telling when you think about it. But so how does this make sense? If Langer is involved with all of these, how is he suing himself, essentially? Now, I know that's not ultimately what it, what it amounts to, because he's not the company, but he is a founder of both companies. And you have Alan Alam suing the other company he works for or that he founded. Now, here's another interesting part of this. As I've gone through this, I found most of this weirdly censored and suppressed, which is not very surprising. Here's an even more interesting one. So this is just a random page that it redirects to. Here's another page that gets redirected again, even on the Wayback Machine. Let me show you what I mean. This is really crazy. Here's the page showing you the, uh, the founder, Alan Alam Pharmaceuticals, Robert Langer, is the screenshot I took. Let me just close that. I'll leave it open for one more second. Let me show you this. This is really strange. Here is the link 
I just saved off to the side. Let me put it in here and use the Wayback Machine here and look for this link. Now, I'll show you that this, this is what it redirects to every single time. I've done it three times before I went live. Just give it a second. It redirects to the actual link. There it is. Robert Langer, founder at on Pharmaceuticals. Now, why are these being removed? It's so rampant right now. It's not like we're just, you know, cleaning things up. There's clearly an effort to remove things from the Internet right now in very interesting ways. So why would you want to remove Robert Langer's connection with the company that's currently suing based on the foundational research that he was involved with working on and creating? Like, quite literally, his, his research. Now, are we watching Langer jumping over to Moderna and taking all of his work, and that's a crime? I mean, I, I don't know. But either way, it's very telling. Now, what you're going to see is, after, if you wait a minute, this will just self-redirect to what you were just looking at. I don't even know how that makes sense if it's on the Wayback Machine. We have been talking a lot about how the Wayback Machine seems to have been compromised. Now, I'm going to come back to this, and I'll show you what I mean. But every time so far, it's just redirected to that weird premium page that it went to every single time. Now, I'll come back. I'll show you what I mean. But here's another example. This is on the Wikipedia. Now, wouldn't you argue if it's that clear that both on their own page, which, by the way, is behind like a paywall, which I had to get to to see, but then on his own Crunchbase page, you can see that he's the founder of that company. Now, why then is he not listed on the Wikipedia page? As you can see. I don't know. But I find that very telling. A very, very, very uh, conspicuous omission. It'll happen. Watch. <laughs> I'll go back to it. Well, here is LinkedIn. And you'll find the same thing. That you won't find him listed on there. But which I find very strange. Well, here again is his page from 2020. Bob Langer on how science can tackle COVID-19. Just so we can see again, as you guys already know, academic co-founder of Biotech Moderna, seen as the front runner in the race to develop vaccines against COVID-19. Now, we told you this about Fauci's overlap with Moderna, how Pfizer and Moderna were going to be the ones. I mean, we weren't just psychic, guys. It's just you could see it if you were paying attention. And it got... $500 million in funding from the U.S. government. Special, uh, that's the next part here. And we've talked about this with Whitney and I. Bob Langer, the coronavirus common denominator, and his direct ties to Charles Lieber, working on the same work and even literally working on the same studies and, re- and scientific, investi- scientific research in China in the Wuhan lab. It's just, it's impossible not to see how this all connects. So, Here's where it gets even more interesting. Here is a page from 2007 from All in Lamb, hooking up with MIT, which is where Langer was working at the time and still does, for RNIA therapeutics delivery. Okay, now here's where it gets really interesting. Because ultimately what they're trying to argue is that Alan Lamb is lying. They're stretching the truth. That's what Pfizer really is saying, and Moderna, that they're stretching the truth and trying to kind of absorb things they had no part in under their patents, right? First of all, 2007... Updated March 2017. That's pretty conspicuous. It's not very common that you jump back in 10 years later and update something like this, right? Here's what it says. On the lamb, which has a number of RN... Well, well, let's do this first. Here's what their company is and what the... So you understand what RNAI therapeutics are. Pioneering RNAI therapeutics. RNAI Therapeutics is an innovative new class of medicines based on RNA interference. 
That's what it stands for. A breakthrough discovery in understanding how genes are regulated naturally within cells. Our medicines use RNA interference to silence or turn off the production of specific genes that cause disease or that contribute to disease. Now, here's the first thought. They're arguing this is the same overlapping research, and I'll show you what I, what I mean when it gets into the delivery part of it. Not necessarily the genes and how that works, but the, the lipid nanoparticle delivery for what they're giving to turn off the gene is what they're ultimately talking about. The question then becomes, though, what is, is this part of what is happening and we're being lied to? Since they're lying about mod RNA, why wouldn't it be something else too? Just something to think about. The idea of turning off genes is exactly what this was about before all of this, the, the militarized dual purpose concept of, you know, like we've already, I mean, we remember we talked about this in regard to the, the magnetoferritin conversation, right? Where the point was they created certain, they turned things off to where they were no longer hungry or they got extra hungry, right? And they caused them to take certain actions as well as causing direct body movements by the controlled ferritin proteins in their, in their brain. There he goes. Look, it just happened. I told you. How do you explain that? Premium plans on this random page. What? Now, if you go to just this link. It redirects you to this. Whatever this is. The the relationship capital platform. Has nothing to do with this as far as I can tell. So how do you make sense of that? It redirects on the Wayback Machine, and you already saw you saw what it was. It's right here. This is the, the, the screenshot. Robert Langer, founder. <laughs> very weird. I mean, there's something very strange going on. I, I think we all feel that, right? It's very, very controlled and manipulative. Okay, so back to this point. You can see this. You know, this is, by the way, guys, this is the same technology. It really is. Now it says, Alnalam, which has a number of those RNIA therapeutics in development, including a lead program. ALN, you know, it's the name for it, in phase one clinical trials for the treatment of respiratory, for RSV infection. We'll look at that. We'll provide research funding for around 10 postdoctoral researchers annually over the five-year term in a program led by MIT's Robert Langer and Daniel Anderson. Okay, so here's the beginning of it where they're saying, you know, we're giving out money for Robert Langer to continue his research, which is what this is, in regard to this, the, the same kind of delivery, nanoparticle delivery system. No financial details were disclosed. In return, Alnalam will have an exclusive option to license for worldwide commercialization any, this is where they're disputing, RNAI technology that results from the collaboration. It says that this builds on pre-existing licensing agreements with MIT under which Alnalam, separate from what they just said, has exclusive development and commercialization rights to a lipoid-based delivery technology for RNAi therapeutics originating from the Langer Laboratory. I mean, that's not hard to understand, right? And this is it, it is posted on their, but this is what they're stating. But this is this is the case as far as my research has shown. That's the that's the breaking down the dispute. They're 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 taking they're taking dispute with the lipid-based delivery part, not the RNAi part but rather the delivery system for it. The U.S. company said the new, ar- the new agreement was very broad and not tied to one particular form of delivery. Okay, so there you go. So even when they start going, well, we're using PEG, we're using a, a polymer, which is really what you would argue. It's not just a lipid nanoparticle. It's a polymer lipid nanoparticle because it, it has polyethylene glycol to, to help it. 
So the point is, well, that still still doesn't apply because it's broad. And that's one thing they're saying on the other side is that it's too broad and that's how they're cheating. But it really begins to seem like they're trying to box it up for some reason. The collaboration will investigate and evaluate all types of delivery, both systemic and direct, lipid and other. Pretty clear as far as, far as I'm concerned. Oh, and this was just so you can see there. It is them, by the way, just in case you were doubting that. So here is an article from 2023. Moderna hits back at Alnalam's baseless patent infringement claim. So Robert Langer's company hits back at Robert Langer's other company for saying they have baseless claims on his work that they helped develop with him. <laughs> this is pretty ridiculous, right? Now it says, in, pair of, of, in a pair of countersuits, Moderna claims Alnalam, quote, baselessly seeks to profit from Moderna's inve- in- inventions. Now, it, just being as a founder of Alnalam doesn't mean that Robert Langer has any immediate investment in that. It clearly has investment in Moderna. Clearly, Moderna seems to be the front runner in where this goes. So it's certainly possible that Langer's just siding with this baselessly seeks to profit, eh, you know, it seems like they have a claim here. But it says, Alan Lam later claimed violations on another patent that it received in July. So what's interesting to me is if they're literally going through the patent process and getting more patents, legally speaking, and then they're disputing those, it's like, what do you mean disputing them? They went through the patent process and the patent institution, what would you call it? The patent structure institution? The group, the people that give patents out, they said, well, yep, here is your patent for that. <laughs> Another one in July. And they dispute that. Like something, it seems to me like, <clears throat> excuse me, like Moderna and Pfizer are desperate to keep this group out of claiming something. I think there's a reason for this. I, my main point here, I, this inner working of it is interesting to me, but ultimately that it shows that there is clear dispute over the, the, the foundation for this. And I think when you dive into all of it, you, it's, they're fighting for money. They're fighting for scraps over, you know, I want my cut of the share after killing everybody. That's what they're fighting for. But really, I think what they're I think what they don't want this to be done for is because when you dig in, you begin to find out that this was really piecemeal. And, and, you know, it was really about, as we can see, a military operation that was grasping at everything they could use. Does the military care about patents? Does the military care about FDA approvals? They don't. That's where this begins to make sense. Alnalam later claimed violations on another patent it had in July. The company did not seek to stop sales of the lucrative mRNA vaccine. Of course not. They just wanted their money from it. They just wanted damages and royalties. That's it. But Moderna isn't having it. Now think about that. Think about a company stepping up right now with what you can see happening. All the peer-reviewed science and the reality of how this is hurting people and going, I want money from that. But Moderna isn't having it. It said, Alnalam played no role in Moderna's significant accomplishments. Well, that's clearly not true. That's, that's coming from the company last week. Spikevax maker says that it had been pioneering mRNA technologies for a decade before the pandemic. Well, yeah, that's, that's the whole point they're making here is that they were involved. But it says that work included lipid nanoparticle delivery tech, which is at the center of Alnalam's claims. Okay, so it's interesting. So Moderna is kind of saying, well, you weren't even involved. I guess they don't think that those, you could see that they clearly were working on similar technology, but it says that work included lipid nanoparticle delivery tech, acting like they had made that. Moderna notes that in contrast to its mission as an mRNA company, Alnalam has, quote, based its entire business model on a different type of RNA called small interfering RNA. Now, this is where it begins to become clear to me that they know they're being dishonest. So we're not talking about that. 
We're not debate. No one's disputing whether they created mRNA. But you realize how dumb that is, first of all, because what we're talking about is mod RNA, which is really what they admit down here or right here, actually, because you're not creating. I mean, I guess te- well, the point is you're not. It's well, mRNA is a natural s- s- process. Uh, chemical process. What would you call it? mRNA is naturally in the body. Mod RNA is genetically engineered by these companies to make these injections. So what they're disp- acting is that, that they're disputing somehow that. Or they're saying that we have a right on that part of it. They're not. And they're very clear it's about the lipid nanoparticle or rather just the delivery system in general. And here Moderna steps in and goes, no, they're focused on RNAi. So from people that know what they're talking, even just basic cursory understanding of this, they're like, well, that's kind of deceptive, right? But it says it points out that Al-Nalam's website touts itself as the leading RNIA therapeutic companies, which, again, has no bearing on the real point of the conversation. Where does the site mention mRNA? Moderna argues. I mean, I, same point. I mean, I just don't see how they don't think they are playing on the ignorance of the average people. It says, Alam sued Pfizer at the same time it originally filed against Moderna, alleging infringements on the same patent. Meanwhile, Arbidus Biopharma, who we heard earlier in the er, years back, Ryovance, uh, uh, Genovent Sciences sued Moderna last February, claiming its vaccine stepped on six of their patents. And that broadens out the point. I really believe that this was patched together under an agenda that was clearly had a time time limitation. They rushed through this so quickly. And I think what they didn't care about was whether or not maybe they thought there was an end game here. I don't know. But clearly something's going on. And I, I think it's because what we're pretending is this has to do with normal legal processes and, and normal approval processes. No, this is a military operation. That's been clear from the beginning. It says, then, of course, there's the Moderna suit against Pfizer, which pits the two against each other. Now, how do you make sense of that? So now you've got Pfizer and Moderna suing each other? Or rather specifically, Moderna suing Pfizer? Now, think about that for a second. You know why that's happening? The same point. So if you're pretending that Moderna, which is Langer, is suing Pfizer, based on the fact that Pfizer used their lipid nanoparticle deliveries, okay, well, isn't it the same point? Same point. This is the this is the crux of the of the argument, and it's really all about a delivery system for a payload. Well, yes, exactly. the The injection part of this is just the middle ground they're at right now. Now, maybe that part of, of uh, David Martin's discussion is that we're talking about whatever they were building to be that payload, right? And this is the weapon because it's clearly hurting people. This is, uh, I just wanted to read what it says here in this. RNAi is a gene silencing technology that inhibits gene expression by targeting and destroying specific mRNA molecules. I mean, think this is exactly what we're talking about in regard to whether RNAi or specifically mRNA the delivery system. But if it were RNAi, which is what seemingly the foundational group that worked on this was making, it's something quite a bit different. All of which, by the way, is gene editing, which they've lied about from the very beginning. Well, going back to 2022, Pfizer Biotech strike back at Moderna with mRNA vaccine patent lawsuit, where it says Pfizer and Biotech denied each of Moderna's claims, noting that Moderna is stretching its already overbroad and arguably invalid patents and is trying to claim credit for others' work. So now you got Pfizer claiming they're the ones that created this, even though literally Robert Langer is working with Moderna and had previously founded Almalam, both of which have a better claim to the actual work. (laughs) But, But I guess because Pfizer's got connections with Fauci and all sorts of other people, it doesn't matter. 
patent that says try and do claim credit for their work. The company argues that Moderna, in its original lawsuit, tried to rewrite the well-known story of the COVID-19 pandemic to put itself in the single starring role. Now, it's almost as if they're desperate to hide the fact that that is the case, that there was clearly one person, one work, body of work, that was used as the foundation for what everybody's using right now. That can't be missed, and I don't think they won't be able to see that. By ignoring the contributions of other players, including scientists at Pfizer and NIH, exactly what I just was talking about. The scathing countersuit went on to attest that Pfizer and BioNTech independently developed their vaccine by using innovation from their scientists and decades of work. Now, think about how dumb this is. AstraZeneca, Johnson, well, let's just, let's just take the specific mRNA work. The idea that Pfizer and Moderna independently came to the exact same thing. The exact, so if they're disputing the patent, they're claiming we both just did it. I mean, this is as stupid as arguing that you're going to make a weapon and that you're going to make a vaccine for that weapon just in case somebody over there makes the same weapon just by the sheer coincidence. That's just stupid. You're making a weapon is what you're doing. You're not making a vaccine. This is the same game. They, this is the same thing. So why in the world they want you to think maybe, maybe it is just profit. But the point is, it is all stemming back to a military work that was funded by BARDA, MIT, and all the same stuff. Just like the spike protein and the same work was funded from the military through North Carolina University, through Wuhan Institute of Virology. All of this ties back together. Unlike Moderna, however, Pfizer and BioNTech, it says, are not seeing a financial windfall for their work of others. The company's attorney said in a filing, Moderna's patent claims far exceed its actual contributions to the field. And its patent present lawsuit will discourage for the development of the remarkable science that made accelerated COVID vaccines possible in the first place. While Moderna's lawsuit claimed that the two mRNA vaccines are similar enough to warrant a patent claim due to the use of mRNA and lipid nanoparticles in both, Pfizer and Biotech claim that their vaccine is undeniably different from their competitors. Think about that. And even though they're telling you they're interchangeable, mix and match, use them all the same. No worries. The companies noted that the vaccine uses a different mRNA structure than the one present in Moderna's, as well as different lipids. Well, this is my point. Yeah, it uses different mRNA because it's not mRNA. It's, mod- it's N1-methyl-pseudouridine-modified RNA. That's what it is. Now, what the, li- the different lipids, well, that's an interesting conversation. I'm going to have to look more into this in regard to whether, what are they talking about? Different how exactly? Because you're using the same technology. Other, if you're not, then where is this based on? Are, are you really pretending that Pfizer just made this up despite a decade plus of work coming from these same people all directly tied back to the government who worked with this exact project? Like, that's just stupid. Again, I'm not saying I have the answer to why that makes sense. My guess would be because it, they, this is muddying the waters behind the way this actually developed. The way this, you could draw a straight line from what David was talking about right to this work, right through it all. I think that's important for them not for you not to see. Now, before we get into the part about how this is, you now have the corporate media literally admitting to you that this is an experiment and then trying to hide that from you. I don't think we should miss the importance of of realizing that the founding company or the Robert Langer founding the company that is claiming to have created, which seems to have done so, the the foundational work with him which he then later goes on to continue to work, even though, now let's be clear, Robert Langer had been working on this before 2007. Charles Lieber as well had been working on similar work. We see them overlap in 2011, and they worked from there forward in Wuhan and China on the same kind of stuff. 
But from 2007 forward, you see this company step in and very clearly outline the lipid-based delivery technology and the whole damn thing. And then he distances himself, distances himself from that and then sides with Moderna. And now they're all suing each other over the, the work. The, it just shows you beyond a doubt, first of all, for those that were still questioning, that Langer's work on things that are completely separate from the vaccines in general, even though they use that, is the foundation for the injections being put in people's bodies with all the weird overlap that involves that goes along with that. The payload, the mesh, the, the biosurveillance, all the things they've talked about that is literally that technology. There's no question. That's what this is. So whether that's what, whether this is just one part of it or whether that was exactly what is being used in people's bodies, I don't know. But realize that even this general connection was dismissed in the beginning, which I believe is because of this. Because we are still and we're then being experimented on. And this is really embarrassing, as always, for the corporate media. Here is uh, whoever this is. I'm not sure. I'm not familiar. Saying, breaking, the Atlantic, Atlantic recognizes reality. COVID shots are one giant experiment. Look at that. Isn't that hilarious and, and, and insulting and, and depressing all at the same time? It's, it's just, in, it's incredible that they can come out with something like this, which, by the way, they then immediately changed to false COVID shots may be different in one key way. For those in the podcast, it says COVID shots are still one giant experiment. And then they changed the title. <laughs> by the way, without updating anything, without saying updated, you know, because they're honest, right? Because that's what honest journalists do. They change the title entirely because they don't like how it was received and then just don't tell you they changed anything. Quite, quite, quite literally, that's a violation of journalistic integrity, but who cares? Because they don't matter. <laughs> but either way, let's go to the Wayback Machine. COVID shots are still one giant experiment. And then we can read through this. Well, actually, we actually have to read through the new version of the title. But let's look at what they had to say. Now, I mean, just first of all, think about how dumb it is that you can be attacked. Like, by the way, right now, go on Twitter and call this an experimental shot, and they'll still attack you. It's always been experimental. That's their own words, investigational, experimental, same meaning, and they admit that themselves, even though they have blatantly used experimental still. I mean, for crying out loud, it's on the NIH website calling it experimental, but people don't care about facts, not in certain groups. But to come out now and say that it's all one big experiment after we've been shouted down and insulted for saying that, it's just, it's, it's almost meant to make people frustrated. Maybe that's why they do this and then quickly change it. Maybe it's by design. I don't know. But either way, Let's, let's just pretend it's an embarrassing moment for them. <laughs> they, they changed it back and they ran away from that. Now, why would they do that? Falls COVID shots may be different in one key way. Well, let's look into it. May 26th. This fall, millions of Americans might be lining up for yet another kind of COVID vaccine. Their first ever dose that lacks the strain that ignited the pandemic more than three and a half years ago. So they're, gonna, they're trying to get into the conversation of the new one. Even though we're going over all the information, Fauci's own cell.com article that goes, you know, the whole thing's not working. We need to redesign everything. But we're going to still make it happen, though. And we're still going to give it to you. And it's still going to pressure you on the media, even though we just have watched this fail. We've watched it hurt people. We've watched the newer ones hurt people even more. And now we're just going to keep going? Yes, because you're living through an experiment. Unlike the current bivalent vaccine, which guards against two variants at once, which, by the way, is what I keep telling people, and I'll make this clear yet again, that the media is just clumsy and bad at their jobs, frankly, because they don't have to be good at their jobs. 
All they have to do is sell you a narrative that works for what they want people to think. Even if they're wrong about certain facts in it, as long as you come away going, yes, so, you know, thinking what they ultimately want, nobody cares about that. Not the fact checkers, not anybody. The point is about what was actually in the bivalent shot. Whether it was BA4 and 5 and the original, which is not by anything, that's try, that's three things. But the point was, as I kept telling you and kept getting fact checked for, was that it wasn't. It was simply BA5 and the original. And they just realized, well, it has an effect on BA4. So they argued it had that effect. And then the dumb talking head media that doesn't know what they're talking about jumped in and said, BA4 and 5, it has all three of them in there. Because they don't know what they're talking about. But let's, I'll show you what I mean. The point is now they're talking, unlike the bivalent, which guards against the two other ones, the next one could, like the first version, have only the main ingredient. The spike protein of the XBB1 lineage of the Omicron variant, the globe's current dominant clad. Well, it's very dishonest to say XBB1, even though they say lineage, because that's not even true. It's not. XBB1 is quite different. XBB1 is not even the leading problem. Again, I'm not pretending I believe or take at face value any of this stuff. They're arguing this. But BA15 and BA16 are, are one, they're one they're telling you are the current dominant. Specifically BA16, I believe. In fact, you can see here what, are the, what variants are we on. Currently dominant, XBB15 with 64% of cases. And yeah, 1.5 differs from XBB1 through the addition of F486P mutation in the spike protein. Here it is on the British, British Medical Journal. According to Genetics Institute director, specifically, XBB115 differs from XBB1 through a spike protein mutation. So when they're coming out and telling people, even if it's just misinformation for the average person, that it's XBB1 lineage, and then go on through the entire article to say XBB1, well, you got people believing that that's the variant we're talking about. Now, that does matter. Because when they come out with something that's talking about that and act like that's what you need and you're being misinformed, of course that matters. But it says the plan isn't, isn't yet set. The FDA still has to convene a panel of experts, like we pretend that matters. You know, like the last four times they did that where people quit their jobs in protest, where multiple people come out and say, what are you doing? We're hurting. Well, Paul Offit comes out and goes, that's going to hurt kids. And they just go, shut up. We're going to do it anyway. I mean, they sure care about the panel, don't they? But it says, then is expected to make a final call on Autumn's recipe next month. But several experts told me, the person writing this, they hope the agency follows the recent recommendation of the WHO advisor group and focuses the next vaccine on only the strains now circulating. Which is what we just showed you the other day. The WHO recommending only XBB variants, which when you can get into it, they're talking about XBB15 or 116. But what's interesting, what we've always talked about and what David Martin was discussing is that if this is something that's there, we see this thing designed to mutate rapidly, not because of the unvaccinated, but because it does. And then, of course, because when you rapidly vaccinate with people with something that is a leaky vaccine that it's designed to do so, it's almost as if, hey, what do you know? They were making it do that. So the point is, as they rush this out, like they did with the rest of them, by the time they get this out, even if we're talking a month from now, well, it will be different by then. I mean, this is about the most obvious, even if you don't think that's true, their narrative is that. So think how dumb it is to argue they want to make this new thing, even though right now all the technology shows that it's not working, that's hurting people, whether or not you've got a different protein in there, that you're going to put this out and then make people take it again under the guise that it's the right thing, even though a month later they're going to go, oh, it looks like the variant was changed right after that. 
Isn't that what we said after Delta? Yeah, we said that after Delta. They didn't listen. Okay, and then we said it at Omicron. Yeah, we said it at Omicron too. Well, they're going to rush out a bivalent. We're gonna, what did we all say? Well, that's dumb because by the time it comes out, it'll be different. And what do you know? That's exactly what they're admitting now. It's almost as if this was always the way it was supposed to go. They just didn't expect us to be one step ahead of them, right? Where we're going, well, that's dumb. It's going to change. And then it does. And they go, well, it changed too late. Now we have to make another one. If we weren't pointing it out ahead of time, well, that would seem like an evolutionary process, wouldn't it? It's not. We're being led by the nose, or rather those that are buying it. The switch in strategy from two variants to one, from original SARS-CoV-2 plus Omicron to XBB1 alone, would be uh, monumentous but wise, or momentous but wise. Experts told me, reflecting the world's updated understanding of the virus's evolution and the immune system's quirks. Gotta love that. Oh, the immune system's quirks? You mean the way the injections are destroying immune systems and dysregulating them? Yeah, that's not a quirk. That is destruction. But of course, because we're learning about the quirk, what, what, does it, what does it really show you? They're experimenting on you. As we've learned about the evolution, oh, why didn't you know before? Because we were doing it in real time in your body. That's exactly why he maybe accidentally came out and said, well, it's still one big experiment. Maybe not even realizing he wasn't supposed to say that, or she And then, oh, shoot, I didn't mean to say that. And so we pull it back and we go back to the original. Oh, it's going to be different this time. I don't know whether it was deliberate or not, but the point is, it is the case that everything about this shows you that we were being experimented on and still are. Even if you think it's in your best interest, I don't even think that's stupid, but you can argue that all day long. The bottom line is they still did it. As I keep joking about dangerous things for your safety. They go, well, we don't know what's going on. So let's hurry up and rush this out and test it on you in real time. We even have an example of the FDA saying, well, we're not going to know until we get in people's arms. Remember that? (laughs) It's just so childish to pretend this is not exactly what it looks like. Neither the original variant nor BA5, the two coronavirus flavors in the bivalent shot, is meaningfully around anymore. Now, I'm not saying it because Atlantic says it, therefore it's the truth. It's because that is the truth. I showed you on their own documentation. Now, think about how embarrassing it is that Ryan Christian, random guy making his own show, comes over and looks at the data and goes, well, that's not right. It's only BA5 and the variant. That says it right there. And then quite literally every single person in the corporate media for the last two months continues to say the opposite. I mean, that's not some kind of like glowing moment for me. It's actually the opposite. It shows you how stupid and how mouth, how incompetent and irresponsible the media are. They don't care. And I'm not even going to say it's because they just don't know. It's because they just don't care. They got a talking point, or rather they probably looked at what the higher up, oh, what, what did the New York Post put? Oh, what, did the, what did the New York Times say? Oh, let's just say that. And by the way, I actually think that's why they keep writing BB, uh, XBB1 in all of this, as you keep seeing through this, because I think they just grabbed this document where was it? Oh, I, I, it was just the WHO document where they're discussing this. And, and you look through it, and it repeatedly says XBB1. But if you read it, it differentiates and says that specifically 1.5 is the one you should make it on. But I think the Atlantic just skimmed it and said, well, XBB1, that's the one. Just, or maybe they just don't care about being specific. Either way, it's bad journalism. It says, and an XBB1-focused vaccine, incorrect may give the global population a particularly good shot at broadening immunity. Now, why do you want to misinform? Like, even up here, you clearly said XBB1 lineage and the dominant clad, talking about XBB in general and the different parts of it, but then you you, you specific, you make it, you specify XBB1 focused. That's just simply wrong, guys. I just showed you that. 
That's not even in existence right now. Or rather, like it's basically gone, if that's even really what's happening. They're the ones telling you that it's actually a different spike protein. So if you're actually pretending we're going to do XBB1 focused, well, you're going to give them a spike protein that's not even necessary anymore, which none of them truly are because you're hurting people. But maybe that's the point. At this time, COVID vaccines are still in a sort of beta stating. At, this same, at the same time, COVID vaccines are still in a sort of beta testing stage. I guess they forgot to remove that. Maybe they did by now. How much you want to bet this will be edited once again? You're telling us we're being tested on. It's as plain as day. By, and, and, and remember, we're now seeing, based on the science, that this isn't even that dangerous. By now, it's long been clear that vaccines are essential, they claim, for preventing severe disease and death. And that some cadence of boosting is probably necessary to keep the shot's effectiveness high. Well, that doesn't make any sense. That's your immune system failing. But when the virus alters its evolutionary tactics, our vaccination strategy must follow. And experts are still puzzling out how to account for those changes as they select the shots for each year. Well, David, told, David Martin told you. These are, it was designed to rapidly change. And now they're just going to keep, now it's just like the flu, which is probably the same game, where they guess and experiment on you as they change them for the yearly routine. Remember when the idea that a yearly COVID vaccine was going to happen was a dangerous conspiracy theory? Just sad. Delta was not a direct descendant of Alpha, he writes. She writes, Omicron was not a Delta offshoot. No one could say with any certainty what would arise next or when. Well, what does that sound like? Does that sound like evolution? Or does that sound like random things being inserted into the conversation? Like Omicron popping up in Botswana and being covered up and pretended South Africa started and coming from four diplomats that we don't ever get to know the identity of, who had diplomatic immunity, as Botswana's own government told us. That's what it sounds like to me, right? The idea that this was something that was added maybe to try to stop something that they did on accident that was hurting people, maybe to add to a problem to increase the pain. I don't know. But Botswana, may remember they said this, November 26th, that Omicron showed up on, November, on the 7th of November on four foreign nationals on a diplomatic mission. Botswana later spoke up and said, we're not going to tell you who they are. And that's where it got left. That's real. How does that make sense? And then we can realize that they weren't even connected. So how do you even have a lineage here? How do you even argue these things come from one another if you know that the leading one, basically they're arguing that it was some, some smaller one that mutated, but none of this adds up with the classic understanding of the way this works. Again, that's not to say that you necessarily have to believe all that, but this is not adding up with what previously was stated as the common understanding. So I believe that this was something that was inserted into the conversation. It could be a virus-sized transistor. It could be a robot, for all you know, for those dismissing the idea that it even exists. But see, that's the problem. If you dismiss things, you box yourself out of possibilities. But ultimately, as his conversation goes, adding that to the, th- the, the thought process here, if this was something that was inserted into the conversation, why would they do that? Why would they want this to become more mutated, more focused? I don't know. Unless it was something that was an experiment. And this is something to see how this works about the platform, about how this would evolve. But it says, we didn't understand the the trajectory, said the head of the WHO advisory group on the recommendations of vaccines. Great. So is that in retrospect that we didn't know what was going on or that you're telling us now that we don't know what's going on? But take the vaccines, though, because we know what's going on. 
And so the experts played it safe. Oh, clearly, clearly played it safe for themselves, for, for trying to reach the maximum numbers of what they claim are efficacy, but not safe in the context of not hurting people. Quite the opposite. They included an Omicron variant in the shot felt essential because of how much the virus had changed. But going all, going all in on Omicron seemed too risky. Some experts worried that the virus would flip back. They said the variant had more similar to Alta or, uh, Alpha or Delta or something else. So the point is they wanted to include multiple versions of this just in case because they worried it would flip back, that is the argument, as a compromise several countries, including the U.S., went with a combination. A compromise? So what? So they wanted to do something else, but they said, well, okay, we'll work together. Does this, this, does this sound like a scientific endeavor? Or it does sound like an experiment? The point is that if you wanted to do what was right for people, then you would focus and do the study. But they're basically compl- they're discussing this and going, well, let's try a little bit of that, a little bit of this. Mix and match. We'll see what happens. That's not me making that up, guys. That's what you're looking at. Then it went with a combination. Half original, half Omicron, in an attempt to reinvigorate the original immunity that they weren't even giving people. And we know what happened. It was even more damaging. The bivalent, net harm, very clear. Already trained on the ancestral version of the virus, people's bodies seem to have gotten a bit myopic. Of course, we've talked about this. There's a lot of different things that are happening, but one of the main things is they were given these injections and they were primed the original, and then when the other things came along, well, it hurt them even more. Antibody-dependent enhancement, pathogenic priming. We've seen a lot of these examples. Or even just, what was it, vaccine escape? Or no, there's another term for that. But in any case, they tried to dig themselves out of the hole, essentially. The outcome was never thought to be damaging. So the, the inherent point there is that it was, though. But Ahmed told him that, her that, the, in retrospect, he thinks an Omicron-only boost might have further revved that already powerful effect. I mean, so the idea being that they, if they should, well, we should have done it that way then. Okay, so in retrospect, if you look back and go, yeah, that was the right choice. So that means you guessed. That means you took a shot and you experimented and then forced it on people. Going full bore on XBB1, which is stupid because Atlantic is not was wrong, now could keep the world from falling into that same trap twice. XBB1's spike protein, which is very different than the one that's actually circulating right now, also would not be diluted from one from an older variant, a concern Ahmed has with the current bivalent shot. When researchers added Omicron to the vaccine recipes, well, they didn't double the total amount of spike because that would be dangerous. They subbed it out half and half because that makes sense, right? So you're giving them half the amount, even though the whole point was like, you didn't, was there, were, were there trials for that? No, no, there weren't. They just did this and gave it a shot. This is the key. We key they had eight mice. That's it. I mean, how do you not see this as an experiment on your body? That left vaccine recipients with just half Omicron mRNA that they've got, they, they might have gotten had the shot been monovalent. In a bivalent vaccine, in particular, the immune response could end up biased toward non-Omicron ingredients, exacerbating the tendencies of already immune, immunized people to focus their energy on the ancestral strain. My God, they have broken people. You know what would you know where none of this would have happened at all? Had people just engaged with the below flu level risk and had natural immunity, which by the way, it turns out the vast majority of people already had before this ever started. And they just didn't tell anybody that, according to two different peer reviewed studies. But I guess it doesn't matter today. If people ta- take it, 
Still, uh, still a big if. That's the point, though, because people don't want to take it. I wonder why. I'll just give you this one since I brought it up. Majority of uninfected adults had pre-existing antibody activity before this started. And hospitalizations remain low among those up to date on their shots. A once a year total strain switch out might be the choice. Oh, you mean like the classic vaccination push they do every year at the flu, which is what we all said was likely going to come, but in a universal style, and we were all called conspiracy theorists? Yeah, like everything else. Dropping the ancestral strain from the vaccine isn't without risk. The virus could still produce a, a variant. Well, you know what? Before I keep going forward, this is an important one to add, seeing as how what they're doing now is removing the ancestral strain. That's what they're talking about, right? Well, in case you missed this that I brought up 150,000 times, the bottom line is that people that got sick from the ancestral strain long before this, during, whatever, if you, or if you think it didn't even happen, the point is those people, according to this study, now let's go down to the, what is it right here? Hold on. There it is. They're, they study demonstrated that people that got sick from the original ancestral variant, variant produced antibodies, as well as T-cell and B, the full roundabout immunity, which you can read in the article, that also happened to cross-neutralize emergency variants of concern with high potency, including Omicron. So what's interesting to realize is that had you gotten this thing and, you know, dealt with it like lesser than the flu problem that it was, according to the peer-reviewed science, well, you would continue to make a very, you continue to have immunity right up until this very point, according to literally every peer-reviewed study on this topic from high-level groups anywhere you look. Science, I mean, even the NIH are crying out loud. Like, that's what's so stupid about how, how much they've pushed the lies. Is that I've shown this so many times. It's just so right in your face. Even the NIH in 2021 said lasting immunity found after recovery. They knew this. But the point is, if you had this problem, or rather just dealt with this, You'd still be right now protected, according to the science they're telling you. But according to what they're saying, they're, they gave half the world an injection based on that, the original strain, and they're still struggling. In fact, they're doing worse than anybody. But they're telling you that's because COVID is dangerous. Well, it's not, though. They hurt people. I don't know what else you need to see to recognize that. The injection is the problem. But it's saying for half a year now, Omicron has endured. And it is now the longest tenure of a single Greek letter variant since the pandemic start. Well, you know what's interesting about that? You know what, you know, the, you said the explosion of variants at the peak of the injections being given. And weird, oh, by the way, they still claim it's mutating, but the point is it dramatically diminished the mutations when we saw the injections dramatically diminish. It's a weird coincidence though, right? Even the subvariants within the Omicron family seem to be spouting off each other more predictably, blah, 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 blah. It may be a sign that humans and the virus have reached a, a, a detente now that the population is blanketed in relatively stable layer of immunity. <laughs> like, what? Just this magically create the version we want to tell. Like, that's so stupid. So, first of all, you're literally telling us that people are still getting sick and this thing's not working. We're seeing an excess mortality, all of, but a stable layer of immunity. <laughs> I just, like, they are just recreating the what they want people to think. So many people have blanketed protection against those and other past variants that they'd probably still be well buffered against COVID's worst outcomes. But meanwhile, we're ignoring the excess death. We're ignoring all the vaccine side effects. We're ignoring everything because we don't know what's going on. So we'll pretend like it's not happening. That seems smart. That reassurance doesn't hold, though, for people who still need primary series shots. They're literally still arguing that you're in more danger if you haven't gotten that original shot. An XPV-1 boost might be a great option for people with pre-existing immunity. 
and la- same point, and just so frustrated by how this is dangerous. Like, if you want to talk about dangerous misinformation, this is what it looks like. Now, of course, they have a right to say it. That's free speech. But these are the people that are misinforming. But a bivalent that can offer more breath might still be the more risk-adverse choice. So guess what? They still don't know. But guess and, and tell us that we have to, to go to school. And we still don't know for sure. Regulators in the U.S. have already announced that COVID vaccines will probably be offered in each year on the fall. And annual flu shots are. You know, that dangerous conspiracy theory that came to pass like the rest of them did. Flu shots could be a useful template in another way. Until 2012, the vaccines are, were trivalent, containing ingredients that would immunize people against three separate strains at once. Is that what you, is that what you thought? Which, by the way, means that you are giving genetic material for three different things at once. You don't think that's going to have an effect on your body? How about the ones with the bivalent giving you multiple versions of the spike protein? Yeah, that's why it's hurting people more in one of the ways. But it says, including all of the U.S.'s, are, right now, all of them are quadrivalent right now. You know what that's called? They're guessing. So at a time when they go, well, we know what the next strain is going to be, they make that the strain. They were either pretending they knew, didn't care, or they did. Now, we're going to pretend like it makes more sense to do four at the same time. Well, that's just because I think they want to try. I, I, I think we are watching experimentation happen. I don't even know what's going on with those shots anymore, like as if we ever did. Our shots ingredients are still selected months ahead when the injections actually reach us, leaving immune systems lagging behind a virus that has, in the interim, sprinted ahead. Oh, so you're describing what it has always been doing? So you're literally going, we've never succeeded because that's always been the case. Funny how when they want to justify the next step, they sell you on the failure before. Sort of like how they're, you know, Fauci, oh, if we just got to disrupt it and just do it without your knowledge, well, that's what's happening. But the point is, they always guess. And they're usually wrong. That's we've seen throughout history. Is that experimentation? Is it profiteering? I don't know. But you know why they're saying this now? Well, because we need to fix that problem now. Well, guess what? We have a solution, guys. A platform, problem, reaction, solution. Until the world has something more universal, gee, maybe they're, maybe they just, act, what a coincidence. It's not like they're quietly suggesting exactly what you think they're suggesting. Our vaccination strategies will have to be reactive, scrambling to play catch up with those pathogens. Right. That's not by accident, guys. It's obvious what's happening here. It's the same game. This is the point. They're, they're working on universal flu vaccines, mRNA platform-based. They're working on universal pan-coronavirus injections. They're working on ferret and spike protein pan-coronavirus injections. And they're working on quadrivalent multiple injection for, for, for flu, COVID, RSV, and hepatitis, I think. That was, I'm not making this up. We've talked about it on the show. Do we know how that's going to work out? Do they care? It's incredible. Where were we here? So, as we can see, first of all, or last of all, second of all, whatever, the point is that this article is clearly pushing XBB1, even though that's obviously not even what's happening. So I think that's just absurd, but they're clearly showing you that this was an experiment. Now, why would they even allow this to go out? I think there's a reason they kind of want this to, you know, they, I think this wasn't by accident, if I had to really put a guess on it. Oops, <laughs> we accidentally put out an article that was checked by all the editor team. No, that, there's a reason... This is sort of letting the cat out of the bag. Yeah, yeah, we're experimenting. And oops, you caught us. We rolled back. 
I just find it really hard to believe that would be an accident, especially when the entire article is literally writing that this is all a big experiment. You know, you can guess for yourself why that might be the case, but clearly we are living through an experiment and probably always have been, guys. And one more example of that. Make sure I got all this stuff at the end here. One more example is this last part we're going to get into. So going back to the, the bigger, the, the starting point, David Martin, all of this stuff. Asking, not, not nanobots necessarily, just nanotechnology, which does include just nanoparticles, lipid nanoparticles. Can nanotechnology be used as a weapon? Patrick O'Connor wrote this. This is March 22nd, 2022. I think the obvious answer is yes. I mean, there's no question. But here's a couple of things he put out in the beginning. Nanotechnology opens up the possibility of producing many nuclear bomb components that are so small that they are difficult to detect. Nanotechnology can be used to create powerful, inexpensive chemicals that, e- that work even in very small quantities. The main applications of current nanotechnology and chemical weapons will come from research into nano-improved drug delivery systems. Let me say that again. The main applications of current nanotechnology in chemical weapons will come from research into nano-improved drug delivery systems. That is what we're talking about. Using nano-sized chemicals that are more easily absorbed by the body could mean that it would be possible to use less potent chemicals. This means that the knowledge of nanotechnology developed by the pharmaceutical chemical industry to create more efficient products can therefore be used to create nanotechnology-based weapons that are easy, easier to create, more deadly, more insidious than conventional chemicals. But let's let them sprint in this direction for your safety. As of right now, the U.S. military is already using nanoweapons like nanotechnology, such as nanotechnology-based lasers, toxic nanoparticles, nanoparticle catalysts, and nanoelectrics. These nanoweapons provide the United States with significant capabilities in asymmetric warfare. You know, the kind of warfare that we don't, they, don't, we, they can act like somebody else. It was Iran. They did it. False flag by Russia when really they're the ones carrying this stuff out, which is something that they're very capable of. I really believe this is the larger part of what this is all about. Now, just to finish with one point and one aspect of how this new technocratic future is going to obviously be used to control your life, despite their op- them literally telling you that, this is an interesting article from the Daily Star. Apple AirPods, terrifying new security feature, scans the inside of your skull with AI. This is from 2022. Now, I saw a topic about this going around. I wanted to find out if this was actually true. And apparently, they, they dispute it by saying, well, the, 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 the patent has nothing to do with your brain. It's about biometrics to find out, you know, your ear size and all this stuff, which is just a really weak argument because you can clearly tell that it does have the potential to grow into exactly what this is going to be used for. Here's another article from this, this platform, just updates on specific Mac-focused stuff. Apple granted patent for interchangeable universal AirPods with biometrics and improved fit. So there, there's just the not what they would call conspiratorial view that they do have, but that they, they did it to be able to check and, you know, gauge your body universal. So you could have either side on either side with biometrics. So here is the actual patent. In the future, AirPods will require user authentication with touch or face ID and other unique biometric measures to fully operate. Now, this is just the, this patently Apple focus on Apple patents in general, but you can look at this for yourself. This is about exactly what you think. It can be, it's capable 
as it says right here, well, this is how conventional systems are generally lacking with respect to user identification using headphones in particular. Traditional systems are not well equipped to determine whether users wearing a respective set of headphones is an authorized user. Right. So you can see this gets into more than just being able to tell it can sense who you are, the biometrics, and it can authorize. So obviously from there, it can do far more, which, yes, then seems to be likely that it can scan and whatever else. That's what we're talking about. And so here is where this connects. You've seen this. We're going to play it again to finish today. The alarming reality of where the World Economic Forum and everybody's telling you. And I mean, here's the crazy part. You've seen this already. They're telling you this is your future, quite literally using earbuds to scan your brain, by the way, which is actually what's already happening. And that's what she tells you in this video. Video, uh, it's going to make you see the future and understand a wonderful future where we can use brainwaves to fight crime, be more productive, and find love. Let's roll. Sensing your joy, your playlist shifts to your favorite song. Sending chills up your spine as the music begins to play. You glance at the program running in the background on your computer screen and notice a now familiar sight that appears whenever you're overloaded with pleasure, your theta brainwave activity decreasing in the temporal regions of your brain. You mentally move the cursor to the left and scroll through your brain data over the past few hours. You can see your stress levels rising as the deadline to finish your memo approached, causing a peak in your beta brainwave activity right before an alert popped up, telling you to take a brain break. Your mind starts to wander to the new colleague on your team, whom you know you shouldn't be daydreaming about, given the policy against intra-office romance. But you can't help fantasizing just a little. But then you start to worry that your boss will notice your amorous feelings when she checks your brain activity and shift your attention back to the present. You breathe a sigh of relief when the email she sends you later that day congratulates you on your brain metrics from the past quarter, which have earned you another performance bonus. When you arrive at work the next day, a somber cloud has fallen over the office. Along with emails, text messages, and GPS location data, the government has subpoenaed employees' brainwave data from the past year. They have compelling evidence that one of your coworkers has committed massive wire fraud. Now, they're looking for his co-conspirators. You discover they are looking for synchronized brain activity between your coworker and the people he has been working with. While you know you're innocent of any crime, you've been secretly working with him on a new startup venture. Shaking, you remove your earbuds. What do you think? Is it a future you're ready for? You may be surprised to learn that it's a future that has already arrived. Surprised to learn that it's a future that has already arrived. Everything in that video that you just saw is based on technology that is already here today. Artificial intelligence has enabled advances in decoding brain activity in ways that we never before thought possible. After all, what you think, what you feel, it's all just data. Data that in large patterns can be decoded using artificial intelligence. We're not talking about implanted devices of the future. I'm talking about wearable devices that are like Fitbits for your brain. The newest way to monitor attention is through a device like this one. These are ear pods that are launching later this year. 
These ear pods, much like the video you watched earlier, are ear pods that can pick up brainwave activity and tell whether or not a person is paying attention or their mind is wandering. Okay, well you might think, fine, but even if we can tell whether a person is paying attention or their mind is wandering, you can't tell what they're paying attention to. You would be wrong. It turns out that you can not only tell whether a person is paying attention or their mind is wandering, but you can discriminate between the kinds of things that they're paying attention to. Whether they're doing something like central tasks, like programming, peripheral tasks, like writing documentation, or unrelated tasks, like surfing social media or online browsing. When you combine brainwave activity together with other forms of software and surveillance technology, the power becomes quite precise. So what do we do with this? What do we do with technology that enables us to monitor brainwave activity for attention? Do we embrace it? Do we resist it? I believe that there is a pathway forward with such technology. We might soon even use the technology to help people wake back up. This is a haptic scarf that MIT Media Lab has developed, which uses brainwave technology in a responsive way to give a person a little buzz, <laughs> literally, when their mind starts to wander to help them refocus and hone their attention. I'm giving you the positive use cases because what I don't want the reaction to be is let's ban this. Maybe Great. A shock scarf. Fantastic. MIT. Interesting overlap. And of course, the craziest part is that's the positive use. <laughs> we don't want you to ban it, so we want to show you the good stuff. You know, like the technocratic control structure that we want you to have. Like, my God, that's the positive cell? Now, by the way, here's an interesting overlap. That's her right there you're looking at. This is from 2023. This is from March 26th, yesterday. The professor trying to protect our private thoughts from technology. Is that what you just heard? Does it sound like this is the professor trying? No, this is her giving a, simpo a, a speech on not stopping this from happening. And here's the Guardian trying to frame this person as protecting you. <laughs> this is classic garbage media. Here's the whole thing if you want to watch it. It's 30 minutes long. It's important. It's, it's well worth watching because it's terrifying. Now here is where this is already happening. Already these steps are already building into this, coming from the vaccination. One of the, the, one of the parts of this from the vaccination overlap, which maybe was the main part of why they wanted this to first be introduced through vaccination, is to justify a digital ID vaccine passport concept. All the same thing. You can call it whatever you want. It's a digital ID, right? And now we're already seeing that roll out in aggressive ways right now. This is from two days ago. Nigeria is now combining bank cards with national ID. Right? We're talking about the overlap of your finances with your identification, which is then overlapping directly right now with your digital ID, which can be used, remotely turned off, everything. Then, oh, as I said on this in general, I said, but it's all in your head, though, right? You crazy, dirty, misogynistic, racist, dangerous, misinformation, spreading, conspiracy theorist. <laughs> First, it was because COVID. So what is the explanation now? Was it ever about COVID-19? I think you know the answer. Now we have Dallas schools ruling out AI pre-crime system to monitor student behavior. It's a real thing. It's on the Ron Paul Institute. The idea about this is just, this, the reason it's happening to schools is because people won't push back as much if it's happening on a bunch of kids. In some cases, right? But the point here is that this is about pre-crime, telling us that we're going to monitor you to make sure, and we're going to let you, if you're about to do something wrong, this is just testing it. This is coming out, probably, you know what, I would argue this is already rolled out.
in your life. Now, the way they get you into this is by cutting you off from what you can use right now and justifying the digital currency, which will then be used to push you a digital ID or maybe the other way around. Who knows? But as Wall Street Silver points out, in UK banks right now, as we've already been seeing, this is happening all over the place. This has already happened in the United States more than once. They're making cash withdrawals extremely difficult, acting like you're a criminal. Looking to withdraw cash? Our primary aim is to keep customers safe and secure, and our branches follow our processes carefully to achieve this. This will include asking you questions about the purpose of your cash withdrawal. We may also ask for supporting documentation, like an invoice. This helps us validate the withdrawals. Are you serious? So now you're going to make me verify why I want to use for my... So if I want to go spend it on something, I have to give you an invoice for how I'm going to spend it? Get the hell out of here. You have no right to dictate how I spend my... This is not about that. This is about controlling the flow of that money and about, in fact, largely being able to not have to give you money when they should, when they deem it necessary, whether based on your social credit score or maybe because they don't have enough cash on hand and they don't want to collapse. So they'll just go, whoa, whoa, you're a problem. We're going to hold and pause everything. Like, this is not okay. Get your money out of banks immediately. There's sovereign bank conversations happening right now in this in Tennessee, right now. Look to that. Ever Check out Sol- the Sol- Solari Report, Catherine Austin Fitz. It's happening other places too. A sovereign, s- sound money-based bank system. As well as that, there's plenty of other things you can do. At the very least, find a local credit, u- credit union in your local area. That's the best you could do at this point if you still want a bank. Either way, all of this guides you in the same direction, guys. Last two points from Sal Diagoras that I think are just humorous, but at the same time, very valid. He, write, he puts this meme out. Government is necessary, they claim, because people left without unchecked power will do evil. Well, the government is composed of people left completely unchecked. And round and round we go. And lastly, I think this is hilarious. It says here in the history book that, luckily, the good guys have won every single time. What are the odds? I think this says the quote from Norm MacDonald. Either way, like, take a second and th- reflect on what that means. History is written by the winning hand. So whether or not they were the good guys, or if there even was a good guy, the people that frame history looking back will frame themselves as the good guy. And that might not be the case. So think about that as we go forward and think about what are the odds, right? That in our cultivated history, we will, the good guys have won every single important time. Now they, really? Or is it that people that, you know, we're vying for power for power's sake, frame themselves as such. I think you know the answer to that. Well, we'll leave it there today. Thank you for joining me today, guys. So much important information. I'm going to try to do a show tomorrow. I've got a lot already planned up that I didn't get into today. Some really crazy stuff. Uh, but either way, I'll, I'll keep keep tuned with the uh, the Discord and everything else, and we'll uh, most likely tomorrow. I, I'm just that's what I want to do. But in any case, I opened with something I forgot to mention, which was that montage of the democracy. You know. <laughs> Uh, a threat to our democracy. And I think it's really telling that we're at a point right now where they're telling us that we shouldn't do our own research. Isn't it embarrassing that 30 seconds ago they were tapping us on the wrist with their rulers saying, you don't check your own facts. And then that didn't work. So they go, you're not, you're, you're actually checking facts, you conspiracy theorist. It just shows you how dumb this all is. So we, are we supposed to check our own facts or are we supposed to listen to you? Or, in fact, they're both the same thing. See, that's the crux of the point. Just listen to us instead. Don't check your, you know, like that's what is checking their own fact. The point is they're the ones misleading you. 
as we can see everywhere we look, every single place we look, they are either misinformed or actively deceiving you. Of course, you should do your own research. Question everything. Come to your own conclusions. It's the only way this works, guys. Thank you for being here. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. The Jacobardi case was one of the great judicial moments in world history. And the public was totally unaware it was actually happening as the process was being engaged. General Electric and Professor Jacobardi went to the patent office with a little microbe that eats up oil spills. They said they had modified this microbe in the laboratory and therefore it was an invention. The patent office, the U.S. government, took a look at this, quote, invention, and they said, no way. The patent statutes don't cover living things. This is not an invention. Turn down. Then General Electric and Dr. Jacobardi appealed to the U.S. Customs Court of Appeal. And to everyone's surprise, by a three to two decision, they overrode the patent office. We bring good things to life. And they said, this microbe looks more like a detergent or a reagent than a horse or a honeybee. I laughed because they didn't understand basic biology. It looked like a chemical to them. Had it had an antenna or eyes or wings or legs, it would never have crossed their table and been patented. Then the patent office appealed. And what the public should realize now is the patent office was very clear that you can't patent life. My organization provided the main amicus curiae brief If you allow the patent on this microbe, we argued, it means that without any congressional guidance or public discussion, corporations will own the blueprints of life. When they made the decision, we lost by five to four, and Chief Justice Warren Burger said, sure, some of these are big issues, but we think this is a small decision. Seven years later, the U.S. Patent Office issued a one-sentence decree. You can patent anything in the world that's alive except a full-birth human being. We've all been hearing about the announcement that we have mapped the human genome, but what the public doesn't know is now there's a great race by genomic companies and biotech companies and life science companies to find the treasure in the map. The treasure are the individual genes that make up the blueprint of the human race. Every time they capture a gene and isolate it, these biotech companies 
claim it as intellectual property. The breast cancer gene, the cystic fibrosis gene, it goes on and on and on. If this goes unchallenged in the world community, within less than 10 years, a handful of global companies will own directly or through license the actual genes that make up the evolution of our species. And they're now beginning to patent the genomes of every other creature on this planet. In the age of biology, the politics is going to sort out between those who believe life first has intrinsic value and therefore we should choose technologies and commercial venues that honor the intrinsic value. And then we're going to have people who believe, look, life is simple utility. It's commercial fair and they will line up with the idea to let the marketplace be the ultimate arbiter of all of the age of biology.